the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Dave Ellswick Show podcast is sponsored by the Juris Law Group. We provide estate planning for all ages, and we specialize in helping seniors get VA and Medicaid benefits for in-home, assisted living, and nursing home care. For a no-risk consultation, call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com. That's J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. And in today, this is Val Emmons on the Dave Ellswick Show. Dave's not here today again. He's a slacker. But um, we have a hot show for you anyway, even though I know it's really cold outside. I mean, I'm freezing. I have my poncho on. It's just cold. (laughs) My toes are cold. My hands are cold. Everything is cold. But I'm a cold-natured person, though. I really hate the heat, too. So I'm really never happy. Uh, In the studio with me, I have (laughs) Community Relations Director Michelle Scroggins. She's with the Salvation Army. And we wanted to talk a little bit about how the... um, Angel Tree thing went, but we also want to talk about some of your um, services that you offer right now, I know, because there's a lot of homeless and it's cold. Right. So what are you doing to help help the homeless folks right now with the temperatures in the 20s and it's supposed to get down? Well, we actually have a warming center and uh, that's located at our uh, shelter. And so anybody can come in from the uh, community and just come in and warm up, grab a cup of coffee, hot chocolate. We've got snacks there. And we keep the warming center open as long as it's under 32 degrees. And then at night, what we do is, um, if it's under 32 degrees, we will put cots and stuff down for uh, women, children, and families that um, don't have a place to stay. And so we'll we'll make room for them. I'm curious, how many of those families have you had so far? Quite a few. Really? Yeah. That is just, that blows me away. And And we were talking about that yesterday. Cody was in here with me. Uh, talking about, you know, how he saw a family and they were sitting on the side of the road and it was so cold and it was three kids. Yeah. And they were just like, help, please, you know. So it's not just people right. by themselves. These are families that don't have any place to go. Right. With little kids. And maybe sleeping in their car. Gosh. And that's not fun. No. So how do, so is there somewhere that you need to call ahead of time to come or... They can show up. Um, we serve dinner at five during the week, and uh, five thirty. Uh huh. Well, except I think Sundays it's five thirty, but um, they can come by and um, they can speak to our social services uh, department, and they can find a place if if we're full uh-huh. or um, and they want kind of a long term stay. Right. We can find find them shelter somewhere else in the city, okay. um, or you know, like I said, as far as an emergency situation you know we'll put cots and stuff down in our dining hall and stuff to make room for people just to get them warm Mm -hmm. i mean because i remember a couple of years ago there was a homeless guy that was found dead Mm -hmm. out out in the woods off cantrell i guess i was work i was working out at the ranch and i remember that happened it was just so sad he was sleeping on his car yeah and they just found him it's just i can't believe that people have to endure this cold 
I can't even stand it for five minutes to get from A to B. And, right. and I can't imagine having to watch my children freeze. Right. Well, I, and, and it's not just homeless, too. It's it's the elderly you right. know, who oh, may yeah. not um, have their heat. heat may have gone out or not able to afford the um, heat or the, the yeah, the heat. Um, anyway, I mean, it, it's it's anybody this time of the year. Yeah, because, I mean, you may have a home, but you may not have any heat, right. electricity or gas. Right. Especially with the prices this year. It's yeah. just, it's outrageous. Right. It really is outrageous. And, and people that are on a budget can't really like the homeless or like elderly, you right. know, maybe on Social Security or disabled people. Mm-hmm. They can't can't always cough up that extra $150 a month uh, to go to that gas right. bill. And that's one thing we always try to encourage people to, you know, check on your friends and family that are elderly or um who are disabled right. and just check on them and make sure that you know they're okay or you know take them extra blankets or you know whatever they need you know try to help them out as much as possible so i know last last year um i don't I think i don't think it was this, this cold last year was it i don't think so i think i know it i mean we've got snow like around february but it wasn't. It just seems like it's colder right now. It's I think so it, cold. I think it came became colder maybe in January. Yeah. It was a little bit later. I think it's like really cold outside right now. Yeah. Um. So if you know someone that needs some somewhere to go, uh, let them know that they can go to the Salvation Army, and that's downtown, right? Right, off of Markham and eleven 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 West Markham Street here in Little Rock. What other services are you guys? Uh, offering right now well we have our pathway of hope program um which is our uh it's it's our transitional housing component program which um is an innovative strategic initiative to break the cycle of poverty equip families for success and impact their lives in responsible independence and so this basically is just tries to help us not necessarily give them a handout but give them a hand up Mm -hmm. and try to you know get them the skills that they need to continue to build um to be successful and um get their family kind of break that poverty um and so we've got that going on and we actually had our first graduate from the program that was back over in the summer so we've got 10 how 10 apartment houses um in the city of little rock that we're working with as far as with case management and um so we're hoping that we have some more clients that we're able to help and graduate our program. Now, is this a nationwide mm-hmm. type program? Yeah. So it's not just in Little Rock? Because we have folks that listen, I know, all over this. Right. Country. It actually started um, in the Central Territory, which the Salvation Army is broken up into different territories. And it started off in the uh, Central, which is like the Kansas area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was implemented as a whole Salvation Army, I guess, about 2016. And then we implemented it in July of 16. So it must be very successful across the country as well. Right. That's good because that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to help people because, you know, when I was growing up, uh, my, my family wasn't as educated as, as the next family. And I think that me breaking that cycle, right. Going back to uh, get my GD, going to college, now my kids are way smarter than I was. And I mean, and right now, even they know more than I knew at their age. And so mm-hmm. they're going to be a lot better 
at some things than I, you know, was. Mm-hmm. And I had to struggle. Right. So, I mean, you don't always have someone to help you understand things or like mm-hmm. apply for college even or things of that nature. But uh, if you have a program that will help right, people to do that, to have that information and use it. Right. I think that's great. Well, and we've got uh, one one particular lady that um, she's got two little kids and she's working a full time job. But she's also going back to school because she wants to she wants to have that college degree. And actually, it's a nursing degree. Oh, that's awesome. We so need she's nurses. working. So she's working on her goals um, to to be able to have that dream job that she wants. That's and awesome. so, you know, we're able to give her the the tools and the resources to help her get to where she wants to be. Right. And again, that's that's a lot of people's problems. Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't know how. Right. They don't know how to go about doing what they, they know that they have an opportunity mm-hmm. and this is America and we can do whatever we want, but how do you get there? Right. You don't always know the vehicle to get there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's the the struggle that a lot of folks have. Right. And I think it's great that an organization like Salvation Army can come to the aid of folks who want to actually lift themselves up out of poverty mm-hmm. and not have handouts. Right. So how many folks did y'all uh, feed over the Christmas uh, dinner? I guess it was Christmas dinner on Christmas, yes. right? Yes. On Christmas Day, we served uh, approximately 150 people. Wow. Um, we actually usually prepare for about 200. And that's just in Little Rock. And that's just in Little Rock. Um, and that's, I mean, that's that's not necessarily the homeless. That's just maybe some, you know, an individual who may by themselves. By them, be by themselves or whatever. They're, they were welcome to come in and have a, a hot meal. Um and not be alone on Christmas Day. Right. So, um, but yeah, it was about 150 people that we were able to just feed on on Christmas. That's that's amazing. And how many, do you guys have the statistics on the kids yet, That the Angel Tree kids? Angel Tree kids, all of them got adopted, all 3,300. Oh, how many? 3,300. Wow. And um, 3,300 kids mm-hmm. in Little Rock. Yes. Wow. So I think when when we came on Dave's show a few weeks ago, or well, it's been a few weeks ago, um, we had over a thousand that were still needing adopted, mm-hmm. and then um, by I guess that Monday we had less than a hundred. So Central Arkansas really stepped out. That's and, amazing, and we really appreciate that. Thank you, Central Arkansas. Yes, thank you very much. And I'm sure those kids enjoyed their Christmas. Do you get like updates or anything from the parents or? We no, don't. No, that's okay. Um, yeah, I mean, we're occasionally, I mean, you know, I'm able to see their faces. Just, I've seen some of them, it's, you know, they're they're in tears just because they see, okay, well, my child got everything that they wanted and right. needed. And needed. And so their wishes were coming true. You know, some some were just so very appreciative. And so, I mean, that's always a heartwarming thing to, to yeah. see. I've been and then there. I'll, I've been there. I've been in those shoes. I mean, I've been a single mother with... And if it wasn't for my friend mm-hmm. who, like, put some things on her credit card and then I paid her back for Christmas later, I wouldn't have been able to give my kids Christmas either. Mm-hmm. And it is not a good joy. Or, I mean, a good feeling. Right. It's not a joyous occasion when you can only give your kid a couple of things for Christmas. At the same time, as a, as you know, as a parent, there's not really anything you can do if you're in that situation and you don't have the money. Right. You can either pay your bills or you can go buy Christmas presents. Right. And right. unfortunately, some people have to choose their bills, mm-hmm. especially when it's cold. Yeah. 
Well, and it's some of it, you know, do I put food on the table or do I, right. buy, you know, buy Christmas? So, you know, they have to make choices. Mm-hmm. And so they're hard choices. And a lot of people don't understand that because they're not living in that. Right. And so I think sometimes we need to have empathy for the folks and, and, and try to get inside their world. Yeah. What they're going through and what they have to deal with, because we just live in our own little world. Yeah. But me, I've been there when my kids were little and it is not fun. At mm-hmm. all. I don't ever. But, you know, it's humbling, too, because I make it a point. To, I don't ever want to be in that situation again. Mm-hmm. And so I have like four jobs. <laughs> I'm always trying to find, you know, because they say you should have three jobs. Yeah. Three different ways that you earn money. Well, I'm just going to take it one further and have four. <laughs> no, I did. I did not know that. So yeah, because if you lose one, then you're you're still okay. Mm-hmm. And it could be like you know just having a little Etsy shop or something like that. Not not a big deal. Not a big job. You don't have to like go work for full time jobs. Right. But I mean, just different avenues. That way, your eggs aren't all in one basket. That's hmm. just what the that's what they say. I don't hmm. know. That's what I've heard. But. <laughs> So what other uh, stuff do you guys got going on coming up in the 2018? Well, we've got um, just kind of a highlight of some of the stuff. Um, dates have not been set. so um, But we will have a Salvation Army night that will be at the Arkansas Travelers oh, wow. during Salvation Army week, which is usually about the second week in May. Okay. Um, then we will uh, probably... Well, I'm not going to say probably. I'm going to say we will um, probably do another Million Penny campaign with the fish and Salem Media. <clears throat> and then... Uh, Explain that one again. Million Penny? Yeah. It's usually where... Uh, well, it's not usually. It's when... <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's when uh, Steve and Bethany go on location and we try to raise a million pennies for oh, the cool. Salvation Army. And it's during from, like, I think, about a six-week period. Everyone just collects their pennies and brings them? Mm-hmm. That's pretty neat. And we've had... We had a lady when... Uh, it was a... I'm trying to remember. I think she was about an eight-year-old little girl. And her mom had been looking for where we were going to have the next remote. And um, her daughter had, since the day we kicked it off, had been collecting pennies. Aww. And actually, she brought them in and gave them to us. Just, I mean, just an eight lo- eight year old little girl. That's, and that was but just, that's something they can do and afford and contribute. Right. And that's something that kids can do young. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can find pennies everywhere on the ground. Oh yeah. And you can save them up, and they add up. People, mm-hmm. pennies aren't just useless. Yeah, <laughs> not just change back for ten cents when it's eight cents, but well, but I mean they can they you they can add up, and I mm-hmm. I would hate to be the one taking all those pennies to the bank. No, I know. <laughs> Good thing the bank has a coin counter. Coin counter, right? <laughs> right. Um. So, so that okay. So you get the million penny campaign, and that'll probably be about the summertime, okay. late mid to late summer, and then um in October is when we start uh is when our Christmas season really kind of kicks in, in my in my opinion. Um, that's when we start doing all the qualifications for Angel Tree. Mm. So um, Back to it again. Yes, back to, back at it again. And then uh, in November, we will uh, kick off our Angel Tree kettles. We'll have a big kickoff. Um, probably it'll be at uh, Park Plaza this year. Um, we usually switch them out between McKay Mall and Park Plaza. Right. And then in um, December, it's full-blown kettles and angel tree and speaking distribution. Of ke- speaking of the kettles, uh-huh. do you have the amount that y'all raised in the kettles? So we do not have an official total, but as of, um, 
we have we've raised so far four hundred and ten thousand. Golly. So that's a lot of change. Yeah. That's a lot of change from the We had over seven. Christmas locations. ladies. That's yes. what they call, I heard that one guy calling him at Kroger, Christmas lady. Where did Christmas lady go? Yeah. Wow. Four hundred and ten thousand dollars. Estimated. 70, yeah. Estimated. Um and that's over seventy locations throughout White, Pulaski, Lone Oak, and Saline County. Gosh. People were generous this year. Mm-hmm. Is that is that a record or we um just slightly under our goal. Ah. So but we're like I said, we're still getting money coming in for that so right okay well that's good to know it is the end of the year yeah all right well we're going to take a break and um don't forget coming up at three o'clock and if you haven't been on my facebook page i've got drew tanner coming on to talk about arkansas xm46 and open carry at four o'clock we'll have jan morgan on to talk about her bid for governor we'll be right back and we're back this is val Emmons on the dave ellswick show 96.5 fm the answer I've got Michelle Scroggins with me uh, in the studio. She is the Salvation Army's uh, Community Relations Director. And we were talking about everything that they have done uh, for people over the holiday and then everything that they will do in 2018. Uh, I added a donate button to raise money for the Salvation Army USA. Uh-huh. Um, on my Facebook page. So you can go, you can't add me because I got too many dang friends. And let me just tell you, <laughs> if I created a page, because uh, I've done this before, I have a show page for my uh-huh. show, but nobody wants to go there. Oh, no. They all want to go to my <laughs> personal page. I can't get people over there no matter what. So I have made, I have taken it off and I guess I need to revamp it. But you can follow me and then I can add you over uh, to the other side. But if you want to donate, go on to my Facebook page, www.facebook.com dot com slash val emmons v-a-l-e-m-m-o-n-s and you can donate to the salvation army because they still have to keep people warm right right now and fed i know people think that everyone can help themselves and they should but what are you supposed to do when it happens and you ain't got nowhere to go right and you're cold well and it also helps us to fill the um the the food pantry too right you know and give them groceries right and so we're gonna when we come back we're going to talk about how you can volunteer for your emergency disaster services program mm-hmm. and how we're going to talk more about that uh, as soon as we come back from this next break that we have. We have uh, a couple of seconds. We have 10 seconds. <laughs> I'm getting better at this, but sometimes I just, my time is off bad. We'll be right back. And we're back. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm not Dave. <laughs> I am Val Emmons, and I'm sitting in for Dave this week while he rests up, and he'll be fresh and ready to go on Monday if it doesn't snow. If it snows, you might be stuck with me again, because <laughs> I can trek over here from my house. Um, <laughs> but let's hope it doesn't snow, because I don't want to trek. In, you know, I'm cold. I'll be coming up in here with icicles on my nose. Anyway. Get you a big, heavy coat. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I have that, and I've got, look, I've got this wrap, and I've got my poncho, and I'm still cold, and my boots, and I'm still freezing. My toes are still cold, and it's not even that cold in here. (laughs) I just hate winter, unless I'm going skiing or something. I don't want it. It's just cold. Okay, so we were going to talk about, uh, I have uh, Michelle Scroggins with me from Mm -hmm. the Salvation Army. She's the Community Relations Director, and we want to talk to everyone about how you can volunteer for some of the programs. And we want to start out talking about the emergency disaster services program that you have. 
Right. And one of the services that we provide um, is the emergency disaster services. And as everyone knows, with Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Matthew, Valonia, Mayflower tornadoes, we've had flooding. And I think that was a few years ago. You and I were talking about that. Um, That's when the Salvation Army will um, implement uh, their disaster volunteers. And there are several different ways. Um, You can contact our office at 374-9296 if you're interested in in participating in the disaster program. But um, what we do is we'll go out and we'll serve... uh, hot meals snacks drinks to rescue workers and survivors and that's our food services uh, portion of it we'll do emotional and spiritual care we'll have special uh, specially trained volunteers to offer emotional and spiritual care to the rescue workers and survivors as well as um, we'll also provide emergency assistance to help survivors Uh, most urgent needs for food clothing shelter and medical services through our our disaster social services so um, we're constantly working with um, other entities as well, um, as well as like one of, one of them in particular is the Red Cross that we will um, partner with during disasters just to try to make sure everybody's served during those those tough times. Yeah, it's because it's hard. I mean, I, I remember when the uh, tornado came, everyone was trying to get everyone right wrangled into groups, uh, and it was really hard because. You didn't want to go out there in the midst of people's stuff by yourself and try to right. help. And then, you know, a lot of people didn't want people helping. Right. So I think when you have someone like the Salvation Army who is well known, it makes it a little bit easier for people to accept the help because they know it's legitimate. Right. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times, too, um, what most what I didn't realize until I started taking our disaster classes was a lot of times our the uh, emergency manager for that county will be the ones that actually call us out. And sometimes we'll just even, if we know it's bad, we will just take our canteen, which it it's our, it's our mobile kitchen that we use to go out and serve, serve meals during those, right. those times. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. And I know that you guys actually set up a whole full service, like food, like you, you yes. feed folks, uh, when there's a disaster in need too mm-hmm. i mean the whole whole shebang right and, and and we've got canteens all over arkansas i mean there's so i mean where wherever the the disaster wherever the need hits, is the need is and it can be uh you know just a natural disaster it can be a man-made disaster yeah. you know there's so i mean we have to we have to think about those so i mean there's there's just i mean if it's a, a building's caught on fire you know we'll if you know, we'll go out and serve those you know, first responders. Well, and I mean, survivors. Do you um, do you guys have? Uh, I know that when people use space heaters, or sometimes fires, and sometimes they catch whole buildings on fire. Mm-hmm. Do you go out and respond to those people in need as if well, we, or if we are um, like apartment complexes or something like that? If if like the fire department or somebody has called us and requested us to come out. Okay, yeah. So upon request, uh-huh. I got you. You don't just show up because somebody said right what are you doing cody he just snuck in here uh, yeah again he's just like a ninja he just sneaks in here it must be nice to just come in and sit down and get on the radio whenever you want <laughs> <laughs> okay, i can't see your face move that move that out of the way i think I'm it's the point it. it's the point it. i know I he so. doesn't let me see his face 
What are you doing, Zach? Creeping in the hallway. Man, these guys. I tell so you what. What are we talking about? We are talking about the Salvation Army right now. Disaster services. Wonderful. Well, because we were also in the beginning of the show, we talked about the warming centers that they have. You know how mm-hmm. you were talking about the family that you saw yesterday? Yes. Next time you see a family like that, you can stop and let them know that they can go to the Salvation Army. Right. Yeah, and it's definitely. warm. Yeah, there's so many times you see somebody like that, and you know, you, your heart goes out to them, but you know, you can't. I mean, I could swing by and give him five bucks, but that's not going to warm his kids up. No, you know what I'm saying? But like, like hello, there's places you can go. And, right. I mean, and so and put your kids inside at least. Yeah. The sad yeah. thing is, there's been so many times that I've, I mean, I'm a pastor, and I've had people come by our church, be like, oh, I need this and I need that. And as soon as we try to offer a different type of help, they're like, nah, no, see you later. I but hate that. thankfully. We can point them if they really are in need. Right. You know, right. People that aren't in need, they're just going to ask gonna for money want, or right. whatever. But if people are really in need and we tell them that there are warming centers that they can go to and go to the Salvation Army and they can help them, then, you know, and point them in the direction of where they need to go or, or right. maybe even give them the ride or whatever. The Salvation Army is just a great asset in this area and it helps so many people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just trying to butter up uh, Michelle over here. <laughs> Michelle, how many people right now do you have in the downtown staying with you? Do you know? We have uh, 60 beds or 48 beds that are uh, designated for single parent, two parent families. And then we have 30 beds for single women. And we're, we stay full every night. And then you said you will add pots if you need uh to after dinner Mm -hmm. for the families to stay together. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a a thing that people don't realize. Sometimes in a shelter, the women... And children have to go separate from the men. Right. Mm-hmm. That's hard on a family. Yeah. Especially around the holidays. I mean, if it's that not hard enough. That keeps them from not going there, I think, yeah. sometimes. And but, if it's not hard enough that they don't have a place of their own, it's like, oh, by the way, you got to split up. I know right. that's really hard. But, it, but, but at the same time, we understand why. Yes. Right. Because of, um, you never know what's going to happen if the guys are, you know. Right. Anyway. Or the women. Right. <laughs> Women can right. be sexual deviants too. Uh, but I think it's great that you guys have that off- offering that for families. Yeah. Yeah. And we will through the winter months. I mean, we'll, we've got, um, we'll start getting coats and uh, socks and gloves. And Are you doing a drive stuff. for that right now somewhere? Um, if anybody wants to donate, I mean, we will definitely take those. Um, we've got, Right now, we de- we had a huge donation of blankets that came in yesterday. That's awesome. So we are able to pass out blankets to those who come through our social services. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're always taking that kind of stuff, especially during the cold winter mm-hmm. months, that we can pass out coats and hats and gloves and stuff, too. You know, I saw... Can I, I just say something yeah, about that real yeah. quick? Um, what I want to say to that is, and another thing I, I deal a lot with in churches is... People think you know, they hear something like, "Oh, we got a big donation of blankets," and they're like, "But I've, you know, I don't have very many. I don't have very much, and it can't help anything." And it's like, "Okay, well, there's, you know, say there's a hundred people out there that have two blankets that they can give, and they feel like that it's not enough to really bring in that's, and make a difference. That's two hundred blankets. That's four hundred. I mean, if, if you yeah. have two hundred people who right. have two blankets, oh, gotcha. that's four hundred blankets. <laughs> I can't, can't add. I mean, I'm sorry. So yeah. I, I just encourage people if you have anything." Anything can help, mm-hmm. right. and and that's why it's so important, you know, to give to the the red kettles. It, I mean, even if you don't have much, I mean, how much does that add up to all across the United States? I mean, that's millions of dollars that and are probably raised. Billions, if you go nationally, right? Nationally, so. I mean, that's 
But that's so many people that get get help because people take the little that they have and they give mm-hmm. it. That's right. And you know what I think is great about it is because that is what we're supposed to do as a community. Right. We are supposed to help one another, not the government. No, no, no. Hold the on. Government, the government's supposed to take care of me. No. Right. Mm-mm. I'll smack you. <laughs> <laughs> I will smack you right out of that chair, Cody. No. Uh, and I know you're being sarcastic. Yes, of but course. But I think it's organizations like the Salvation Army that in the past, before all these entitlements, mm-hmm. help people. Right. Because that started, what, in 1800s, you said? Right. Yeah. Um, and that is what, I mean, there's no red tape on it. There's no, you know, a government is not supposed to be your daddy. Right. You're supposed to get help, if you need it, from the community. Only mm-hmm. the community can change right. itself. It, I grew up in Southeast Texas and we dealt with a lot with uh, hurricanes and things of that nature. And I promise you the government was not the main thing helping. I mean, it was the majority of the help that we got was churches mm -hmm. and communities just coming together and helping people. You know, you'd see a neighbor's house that uh, their fence was down or the roof was messed up. And like literally the community would come together and work together and fix it that's absolutely right but everybody thinks the government should fix everything and that's like with you know back in what was it september when hurricane harvey hit texas right you saw people who who might have been on a democrat who might have been a republican and it's like they set aside their political views to go help those in need oh i saw like they may have even been longhorns fans and they (laughs) still were helping people or texas Texas, yeah you know or (laughs) so well you know I, uh, whenever that happened, I saw like trucks after trucks after trucks heading down that way on, right. from our interstate. And I was like, oh, you know, this is, this is awesome. Because it was right. companies. It wasn't government. It wasn't FEMA. Mm-mm. It was Tide and, you know, 18, all these companies that have mobile trucks that go in, like the Salvation Army. Right. right. That go into disaster relief. Mm-hmm. That is, people get angry when it's their taxpayer dollars, but they don't get angry when it's something that they've donated to because it's their cause. Right. Right. And see, it's their choice. See, that's it's not what, taxpayer dollars that's taken what, from you. That's right. what makes America great is the people. Mm-hmm. That's why it's we the people. It's not like we the government of the United States right. decided to do this. No, it's it's the people that make make America so great. And mm-hmm. I think that's the whole point of, you know, the make America great again is he was – he was trying to get the people to stand up and make a difference, it's right? Dependent on the government. So yeah, much. and mm-hmm. and that that's where we go wrong is we think the government should take care of all that, but or some people think that the government should take care of all that when in reality, America is the people, and the people have to step up and, mm-hmm. and do those things. And I and I promise you, if you're sitting out there and you're really wanting to make a difference or whatever, if you do it, you'll feel amazing. Oh yeah, every single little thing that you do to help somebody else especially in this cold weather or whatever, you know, reaching out to somebody, you will feel amazing after you do it. Oh, yeah. It gives you a boost of the feel good. Yeah, that we could do things together as a community. We could grow and we can be better than what we are. And a lot of people think it's just at Christmas time, you know, help those that, you know, and you get that feeling. But, you know, it's any time throughout the year. Right. You know, and it may be just, you know, something little. That, you know, you can do to help somebody. Right. It, it, it like makes, buy them some food or something. But and the amazing thing mm-hmm. about it is, like, uh, I know a guy who he was coming out of an airport 
and uh, he uses this illustration in a sermon or whatever, but I thought it was amazing. He was leaving an airport, and he saw this guy in front of him drop his passport, mm-hmm. okay, which is a huge deal. I mean, he's, you know, in, if he was from another country, he could be, like, stuck here if he doesn't right. have his passport. And so he immediately grabs it up. It's like, sir, hey, sir, you know, here's your passport. You dropped it. And the guy was so happy that this guy did it, and he was so grateful. And so the guy, my friend, who gave it to him, felt amazing because he helped the guy yeah because the guy felt amazing and then as he was like walking over to wait for the car that was coming to pick him up this guy walked up and was like i saw what you did and that was awesome we need more people like that so not only did it help the people involved in it but it helped other people because they saw it and it didn't cost him a penny no it was just a kind gesture and it didn't take it and put it in his pocket yeah, because I, I mean, Christmas time, I had that happen to me one time. I was pregnant with my second child and I, you know, when you're pregnant, you forget things. I had set my purse up on top of my car, all my Christmas money in it. I was going shopping and it was dark. My purse fell off on my car. And I guess I didn't realize it until I got to where I was going and I went, I went back home. It was before the cell phone days, obviously. Oh, no. <laughs> we didn't have cell phones. So I went back home after I realized I didn't have my purse. And a lady had br- brought it to my house. She got my uh, driver's license. I had all my money still in it and everything. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I mean, she could have taken my money and run. but it was And it was Christmas. But the, the heart... Thump that you feel when your purse is missing with all your money. I mean, that's your whole life right there. That's your Christmas money. I mean, that's all I was thinking, you know. My kids aren't going to have a problem because of my stupidity, you know, because of my, my forgetfulness. And uh, that woman saved saved me pretty much. Yeah, And in the midst of your forgetfulness, you met somebody that you will never forget. Right. And you right. will never forget what they've done. Right. You will tell others what they've done. That's right. It does so good when we do good. Right. Mm-hmm. And Doing it, the most good. Yeah. Well, we're going to take Ooh, that a, was a segue. It was nice. <laughs> the most good? Doing the most good. Doing well, we got to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we'll talk about the most good a little bit more. <laughs> and we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Val Lemons, And I've got Cody Price with me. Uh, he's the Salem Count Executive. Yes, he yes. Just sneaks in all the time. No, <laughs> he's checking up on me. Just yesterday. Are you reporting day. to Dave? Are you reporting to him, letting him know I'm no doing comment. all right? I have no comment. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a yes. <laughs> No, I've been talking to Dave. Uh, and then I have Michelle Scroggins, who is the community relations director for the Salvation Army. And we've just been talking about um, a lot of the services that the Salvation Army offers and what you can do to help and how you can get involved. Um, do you want to give that number out again, how you can volunteer? Yes, it's 374-9296. Or um, you can come down to our office on 1111 West Markham here in Little Rock and uh, meet with us and we'll kind of give you more opportunities um, as far as throughout the year. And that's you where buy. the warming centers are as Warming well. centers are there um, and our, it's in our shelter area. It's actually in our dining room um, where we'll actually have hot chocolate, coffee, snacks, top stuff for anyone who wants to come in and just stay in the warming center and warm up. I mean, I see people all the time downtown there when I go by and they got blankets they're walking around mm-hmm. with. I'm sure they get them from you. Yes. Um, but now it's even more important that they get more blankets because it's so cold outside. Right. I mean, it's my toes, getting colder. I, I was going to say it's getting colder. And at night, geez, it's cold right now, but at night, my gosh, 
Well, and especially like what Saturday, Sunday when that winter mix is supposed to come. Yeah. So, how many homeless people do you think that we have in Arkansas? I mean, in Little Rock. In Little Rock. Um, the la- and, of course, the total may have changed um, since the last time. It's been several years ago, and it was approximately 2,500 in Central Arkansas. And that was the last total that I 2,500 people homeless. Mm-hmm. I would have never thought. And there's probably more yeah. now. Right. Because it's become an epidemic nas- nationwide. Well, and most people, you know, they live paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it could be one of the spouses losing their job, you know, that could cause them to go into homelessness. So, I mean, it's... And you it's, can't just rebound from something like that. No. I mean, it takes a minute. You lose your house. You lose everything you have. You're living in your car. You can't just go out and get another place, especially if you've lost your job. Right. You're kind of in a catch-22. So you have a car payment probably, too. You can't, like, get rid of your car because you don't have a job. Well, you, you got to do something to go. Right, to, to get a job. Mm-hmm. And you can't get another apartment because you have no job for the application. Right. No income. So you can't find another place to live until you find a job. People don't understand that that's, that's sometimes the hardest obstacle that people have to overcome when they lose their job. Uh, I was in that situation when I, uh, back in 2008, when I lost my job as a loan officer because the company shut down. I I didn't have a job and my rent was crazy because I was making good money, you know. And then right. when I ran out of money, I had to figure out what to do. I had to figure out what to do. And I Very figured difficult. it out. But it is difficult because, like I said, you can't rent a place if you don't have income. Right. And you can't buy a place, certainly. But um, coming back in the 3 o'clock hour, we will have Drew Tanner on. And we're going to talk about X 746. Um, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Steven. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. Let me just tell you what a dork you are, Cody. You're sitting in here playing the drums to the Dave Ellswick theme song. That was great. (laughs) That was great. Thanks. I'll see you later. (laughs) That was awesome. Good drumming. Um, Let's see. So on the phone, we've got Drew Tanner on with us. Hey, Drew, how you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. How are you? I'm fabulous. So, first off, let's give the listeners a little background on you and your, your involvement with the X746 movement in the state. Uh, well, it uh, originally started in uh, the first open carry walk I did in Cabot with uh, the Patriots X746. Uh, and then a few months later, I was in Walmart shopping, open carrying, and a guy comes up to me and asks me if I'm law enforcement. And when I say no, he grabs me by the arm. Uh, so state police, identify yourself, uh, was not showing a badge, uh, wasn't wearing a uniform. Uh, when I asked to see his badge, he 
did not show a badge. So I, you know, just assumed that he was just some crazy person and broke free, called 911. Uh, Cersei police showed up on the scene. Uh, long story short, they let me go with no issues, like didn't even take my gun off of my side. Uh, no arrests happened at that time. And a few days later, I was in Walmart again, not caring at all because during the first incident, the store manager had said that he didn't want me in the store carrying a gun, uh, contrary to Walmart's uh, corporate policy. Uh, so I asked Walmart corporate to notify their manager that that it was policy that I could carry a gun in the store. Uh, but they just said to contact the manager, so that's what I did, and went in there unarmed to clear it up with the manager. And the same guy uh, from the first incident who turned out to be a state trooper by the name of Kurt Ziegenhorn uh, was in uniform and arrived at the store 30 seconds from when I did. Comes up to me, addresses me by name, says, Mr. Tanner, are you carrying today? Uh, we went back and forth several times because I said I didn't have to answer any of his questions. And finally, I told him that I was not carrying. And then he demanded to see my identification. I said, you know, I don't have to show you my identification. You know who I am. You're harassing me and I'm going to call 911. He put me in handcuffs, takes me out to his car, uh, confiscates my concealed carry license. And then lets me go. Uh, seven weeks later, uh, Cersei police show up to my door with an arrest warrant for obstructing governmental operation. <laughs> so went to jail for that for a little bit and was eventually found not guilty of that charge. And now where does this all sit? Uh, well, we had I had filed several Freedom of Information Act requests to get the information uh pertaining to those incidents from the state police, like the, any police reports that they had, you know, dispatch logs, radio chatter, uh, you know, incident, like, a, like I said, an incident report, because when you, you know, you pull up in a car and put someone in handcuffs and confiscate their license, you would assume that there's an incident report about that. Yeah. But the state police has refused to release any information regarding either of those incidents to me. Um, so we have uh, filed a federal lawsuit in U.S. District Court against uh, Trooper Ziegenhorn, Bill Sadler, Colonel Bryant, and five uh, Jane or John Doe's. And interesting because today, Governor Asa Hutchinson informed the Arkansas State Police that he believes that the 2013 Act 746 made legal open carry of guns the law of the land in Arkansas and that they should act accordingly. Have you read that letter? Uh, I have read the letter, yes. He he claims that uh, we can open carry, and even if you have a permit, you can open carry, and the state police can't take away your permit for open carrying, which would have been helpful three years ago for me. But then he also goes to say that you can't conceal carry unless you have a concealed carry license. Well, the state police took my concealed carry license, and I've continued to carry concealed the past three years and haven't had any issues with it. So if they took your license, do you think, You'll be able to get it back? Uh, right now, I think I could get it back because the revocation period is two years, I believe. So the revocation period for my license is up. I could get one. Uh, shouldn't have any issues with it. But I will not give the Arkansas State Police a dime of my money. So you're just going to continue uh, to open carry? I, yeah. I'm, well, I'm going to open carry and conceal carry without a license. I don't, need one, I don't need a license at all in Arkansas. My license is in the National Archives in, in Washington, D.C. That's okay. the only license I need. I, I agree with that. Um, so I want to just read this letter that Asa 
Hutchinson, who was our governor, our governor Hutchinson wrote to uh, Colonel Bill Bryant, who is the Arkansas State Police Director. But um, first he sent the email that says, please find attached the governor's December 15th, 2017 letter regarding the Arkansas State Police's enforcement of Arkansas Code 5-73-120 and the offense of carrying a weapon. While acknowledging that the department has not arrested or cited individuals for open carry (laughs) under 573-120, the purpose of the governor's letter is to provide guidance that the open carry of a handgun is protected and allowed so long as there is no intent to unlawfully employ the handgun. Openly carrying a handgun does not alone provide probable cause for arrest. However, troopers may stop and detain any person reasonably suspected of violating Act 573120, if necessary, to identify the person or determine the lawfulness of his or her conduct. You were just walking through Walmart, right? I mean, you weren't. Right. Yeah. Right. That wasn't, it just doing a little shopping wasn't even, you know, it was the middle of the night, so there wasn't even people around to be scared. He was the only one that even paid any attention to it. Walked by several people. 90% of the people don't even notice when someone's open carrying. Right. Well, he goes on to say, in determining whether reasonable suspicion exists, troopers should address the situation under Arkansas Criminal Rule 3.1 like they would in other situations involving reasonable suspicion that a person is committing, has committed, or is about to commit a felony or a misdemeanor involving danger of forcible injury to persons or of appropriation of or damage to property. When reasonable suspicion is present, the trooper may stop and detain an individual if such action is reasonably necessary, either to obtain or verify the identification of the person or to determine the lawfulness of the conduct. As noted in the 2015 Attorney General opinion quoted above, which that's um, number 64 in 2015. Let's see. This provides examples of factors that may constitute reasonable suspicion, such as the demeanor of the suspect, the gait and manner of the suspect, any information received from the third person and the suspect's proximity to known criminal conduct. None of that would apply to you. No, no that was the first time I'd ever, ever had any negative interaction with law enforcement. So, you know, they didn't, you know, had no criminal record whatsoever, was not acting, you know, flashing my gun around, you know, waving it around, pointing to people. You know, I could understand if they were wanted to stop someone that was doing that. But, you know, just having a holstered weapon is, not committing any crime whatsoever. Now, that was from Bill Bryant, what I just read. That was to trooper commanders and CID commanders um, from Colonel Bill Bryant, who you say that you have filed. Um, yes, he is, he is the one listed, one of them listed in the in the lawsuit, yes. Right. So we'll see how that comes out. You may be the reason for this. <laughs> But anyway, uh, so Governor Hutchinson wrote this letter. This is the one that he wrote that uh, to Colonel Bryant. Act 746 of 2013 clarified that a person may open carry a handgun so long as there is no intent to unlawfully employ the handgun. While in my view, this language is clear and consistent with Article 2, Section 5 of the Arkansas State Constitution, uncertainty has been created as a result of differing interpretations or comments made by local officials. The purpose of this communication is to provide guidance and direction to the Arkansas State Police in reference to the open carry of a handgun. The State Police is the lead law enforcement agency in Arkansas and sets the standard for enforcement policy across the state. 
Local interpretations of Act 746 may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, and prosecutors have expressed varying views on Act 746. For this reason, it is essential that the executive branch state clearly its policy. To my knowledge, the agency has yet to cite a single individual for the act of open carrying of a handgun, and I believe any such standalone citation would be both inappropriate and inconsistent with Arkansas state law. I had anticipated that there would be some type of case in which the Arkansas Supreme Court would have the opportunity to affirm the plain language of Act 746. However, there has been no case before the Supreme Court based upon an arrest for an open carry of a firearm. The open carry of a handgun is protected and allowed so long as there is no intent to unlawfully employ the handgun. Further consistent with Act 486 of 2017, the sole legal act of uh, open carrying a handgun in and of itself will not result in revocation of an individual's, let's see where the rest of that letter go, whoopsie. Concealed carry license. A concealed carry license or enhanced carry license continues to be required in order to carry a concealed handgun. Uh, Please provide the above information to all appropriate uh, Arkansas State Police personnel and continue to monitor all agency materials for consistency. Thank you for your attention. This matter. Sincerely, Asa Hutchinson. So how do you feel about that now that it's come... I mean, that's to me, that's a little, it took us a little long. We've asked him that since he became governor to clarify yeah, that statement. Kinda, yeah, he's been he's been kind of avoiding the issue ever since he was elected. So I think it's about time that he came up and said something about it. I still don't completely agree with everything that he said, uh, specifically regarding the concealed carry without a license. What uh, do you think? Uh, no yeah. So what do you think? Go ahead. No, I was going to say, what do you think? I mean, what do you think that the U.S. District Court is going to say now about your case? That's. Uh, I don't. I honestly don't know. My assumption is that the uh, the court won't have any influence by what the governor is saying now because they're that's a you know that goes into the separation of powers because the the court has nothing to do with uh, what the governor says because the governor doesn't tell the courts what to do. So I don't think it'll have an effect on my case. Uh, they'll interpret it how they want right they'll interpret it how they want but it might help prevent something like mine happening in the future right uh, because there is that direction that you know if if someone is open carrying you know just leave them alone they're not doing anything and you're and i i think that we all owe you a thank you for going through this for the last four years (laughs) because no one else hopefully will have to go through that if the state police follow consistent procedure as they've been guided to by Bill, uh, who is over the um, state police. Uh, I appreciate that. And I, I would just like to say thank you to those who have supported me the past three years. Not just, uh, you know, I've had a lot of emotional support from different people across the state. And here recently, I've had a lot of financial support from specifically people who have been a part of the Patriots of Act 746 group pitched in and helped out uh, finance this lawsuit so far. And so I'd just like to thank everyone for that. Well, because you went in front of Judge Wendell Griffin, which I can't stand that man. Um, Yeah, that was for my – that was actually to get my concealed carry license back. That wasn't for the charges against me. And he – but he rejected your argument. Right. He – his opinion on law is that – 
unless something, unless permission to do something is specifically granted by law, then we don't have permission to do that. That's, <laughs> that was his opinion on, on the law, because there is no law that gives explicit permission to open carry, then it's illegal to do so. And we tried to make the argument, uh, you know, well, there's no law saying that a person can breathe. Does that make breathing illegal? And, you know, he just wouldn't have any of it. Uh, he, I don't even know why that guy isn't a judge. He is just, uh, yeah, he's just so. Because people keep electing him. Well, that's true. And most of the left. Well, all of the left, because he is a, a leftist judge. And ugh, I just can't stand that guy. He's the one that, well, I'm not going to get into that. But um, so what do you have to do to get your concealed carry back? Uh, right now, all I would have to do is apply to get one. Uh, do you have to go through I all that stuff any, again? Yeah, I would have to. I would have to. You know, it wouldn't be a renewal. It would be just to get a new license. If I did want to get a license, I would probably get an out-of-state Arizona license or uh, one of the other states because the one it's cheaper and easier, and two, I just don't want to give the state blue team my money. Tell me about Arizona. How's that work? Uh, well, from what I understand, it's like all you have to do is send them a copy of like your DD-214 or, or Hunter's Ed, uh, and it's significantly cheaper. And they would uh, – you don't have to take a physical course just to uh, qualify for it, whereas in Arkansas, you have to you know get certified in a physical – you have to go to a, a class and take a course and spend that money too. So you don't have to live in Arizona? No, you, it can be an, it's a non Arizona non resident license. Hmm, that's interesting. That is and interesting. There's, there's several states that offer that, but I, from the consensus, from what I have heard, is that Arizona is one of the more common ones for people to go to. And so that's because reciprocated here, obviously. Issues. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, Drew, do you have anything else you'd like to add? We want to thank you for coming on and telling your story. Um, oh no, I think we've got covered everything. Uh, Thanks for having me on. No problem. And I guess we're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about uh, Governor Hutchinson's letter. Thanks, Drew. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye, y'all. And we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. Um, we were just interviewing Drew Tanner, who uh, was the young man who got harassed by a state trooper, Arkansas state trooper in Walmart for open carrying. And um, this comes... Because today, uh, in the news reports that Governor Asa Hutchinson sent a letter to the Arkansas State Police indicating he believes a 2013 law made legal open carry of guns a law of the land in Arkansas, and they should act accordingly. I mean, it only took him two years almost to to come out and say this. We've been asking him since since his uh, uh, inauguration to send a letter to the state police. I'm not sure why it took so long, but we have the letter finally. And because he's over the state police, that's uh, affirmative action, I guess. I mean, I guess they have to do it. Um, And thankfully, no one else hopefully will have to go through what Drew's gone through with legal troubles. Mm. I mean, had his concealed carry license taken from him. Um, That's going to cost him money to get it back if he ever wanted to do that. When he wasn't breaking the law. Exactly. He wasn't doing anything but shopping. So... And I find it very interesting that the that the judge, basically his idea is that if there is not permission in the law to do something, then you don't have a right to do it. <laughs> right. 
It's like, I mean, if the cops were to come in right now, could they arrest me for propping my feet up in this chair? Because there's nothing in the law that permits me to do that. The janitor police might. Janitor police. I don't know. I think it's abs- I think it's ridiculous too because we have, a, like he said, our constitution is in D.C. or our law or right. concealed carry license is in D.C. And I have a picture of that. Right. I'm not supposed to take a picture of the constitution, but I did. <laughs> and you just admitted it. I know. Come get me. I did. I, could, I snuck a picture of it. I was like, but you know what? There was little kids sitting on it too. I was like, get off the constitution. Are you serious? I'm serious. Their pants were right there. They were just leaning sitting. and sitting on the glass. Oh, I was so mad. I was fuming. I was fuming. That is so disrespectful. No wonder our uh, mm-hmm. country no is kind of messed up. No respect. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I think that it is way past overdue, and a lot of people are speculating that. Uh, governor Hutchinson is doing this because of Jan Morgan's bid for governor. Mm-hmm. Um, that she hasn't announced yet if she, what which way she's going to go with that. She's just it was an exploratory campaign so far, and I'm going to have her at, on at four o'clock, and we're going to talk with her about. But it might seem kind of real if he's all of a sudden sending out this letter. I know it makes people wonder. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, what else is he going to do just to appease people? To get the vote right and i don't i'd like to know what jan morgan's thoughts on some of these other things are and some of the issues too right uh so we're going to talk with her about that but i think that we now have some clarity with the arkansas state police on open carry right and act 746 so that is good even though it took us a little while and the motive to get it might be <laughs> A little unclear. Uh, I mean, I'm sure, like I said, we're speculating, but it may have taken a little time. And there's a little notation at the bottom of that letter that says open carry is not a term used in Act 746 or 5-73-120. It is used to refer to the act of carrying a handgun in plain view without any type of license. And then another note says it should be noted that there are other laws that limit the open carrying of handguns under certain circumstances. So that's that. Yeah. But we got to take a break here in a second and we will come back and we'll talk more about uh, all of this gun stuff. Mm-hmm. I know y'all like to hear about gun stuff. And if you have any questions uh, that you want to ask, go ahead and give us a call. Uh, when we come back from the break. And we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Val Lemons uh, sitting in for Dave today and tomorrow. Uh, and then Saturday, we'll be back to my own show. My whole little hour. <laughs> but luckily, Dave picked someone that knows how to run their mouth, and that's me, uh, to fill in for him. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Hey, <laughs> shut up. Uh, Cody Price sitting in with me. He's a Salem account executive, so he can help you with all your ad needs as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Cody. But, um, we came across this article that we want to talk about. Cody wants to talk about guns. I want to talk about guns. Everyone knows I want to talk about guns. But, uh, I came across this article. Here are the five worst fake news reports on guns. This is from the Daily Signal. Uh, the mainstream media, not to be quietly defeated, exposed its anti-gun bias more than ever this year. The national newspapers and left-wing TV networks continue to churn out unbalanced reports on gun crime and laws while refusing to I'm learn shocked. accurate terminology. I'm shocked. If they would just learn about guns, maybe they might not be so hateful about them. Mm-hmm. 
so USA Today is number one. The colorful newspaper that lands outside hotel rooms sees the mantle for this year's most ridiculous yet hilarious anti-gun propaganda reporting. One story authored by the unnamed editors lists accessories that can be added to a popular AR-15 rifle. The authors include a list, uh, a chainsaw bayonet. To illustrate this, USA Today tweeted a video depicting an actual chainsaw attached somehow to the bottom of that rifle. <laughs> a chainsaw bayonet. Mm-hmm. Anyone with common sense knows a chainsaw weighs more than a rifle. <laughs> and that weight would pull it down, much less be stuck in an electrical socket unless it's gas. <laughs> I mean, how are you going to do that? If people are just dumb. But read, readers, obviously, you know, in the know, immediately oh, yeah. mock the absurd by posting mock-ups of other possible modifications to the AR-15. <laughs> <laughs> like a nuclear missile. <laughs> That's good. And a full-size F-16. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway. I like my modification. I go with the Triton V6. <laughs> right? Yeah. Just take it out of my <laughs> Ford F-150 and shove it at the end of the barrel and... It's just like, are you kidding me? Yeah, people are so dumb. Chainsaw. That's just dumb. Andrew Wilco added increasingly smaller AR-15s under the full-size one. <laughs> like the one the Russian wood dolls have decreasing size. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. So I add another smaller AR-15 underneath the AR-15 as an attachment and accessory. We could add some pink bling to it, too. Definitely. Yeah. All right, and then number two, CNN. After the horrifying shooting of Republican members of Congress on the softball field this year, we seem mm-hmm. to forget these things. They go by so fast. Um, CNN published a story in June titled, Where Does the GOP Baseball Shooting Leave the Gun Control Debate? It was not a news report by any definition. The entire article is an interview conducted by email with the president of the Brady campaign to prevent gun violence. Uh, the reporter did not email interview any pro second amendment group or activists of course for any balance cnn didn't even include the house majority whip steve scalise from uh louisiana who almost died in the politically motivated shooting he had not changed his views on protecting the second amendment from any further infringement also there seems to be no one employed by cnn who has any knowledge of firearm statistics jim acosta the senior white house correspondent tweeted since sandy hook there have been at least 1,552 mass shootings with at least 1,767 people killed and 6,227 wounded. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty good at math, but that doesn't make any sense. Uh, Acosta, who has almost half a million followers on Twitter, was not actually citing CNN, but an article in a left-wing outlet box. You can click through. Uh, <laughs> yeah, their data is riddled with errors and gun violence. It takes statistics from a group called Gun Violence Archive, which makes up out of a whole cloth the definition of mass shootings to include people who are shot but not killed. That sounds like, are you sure that wasn't like Dan Quell or something that said that? <laughs> right. <laughs> that definitely sounds like a Dan Quell quote. What was it he didn't know how to spell? Oh, man, I don't know. Potato? I wouldn't doubt it. Is that what it was? I do remember he said one fifth of all our children are born into homes without families. <laughs> Oh, Dan Quayle. <laughs> Gotta love him. Gotta love the dumb. Throwback Thursday. Yeah, there you go. Throwback to Dan Quayle. We need to find that quote. Go find something on Dan Quayle. Anything. 
Uh, anyway, nowhere in the article does Vox mention that there is an official government definition of mass shooting, which is four or more people killed outside the home in one incident. In fact, the number of people killed annually in mass shootings has been an average of 23 over the last 30 years. That statistic is from a leading gun control voice in Congress, Senator Dianne Feinstein, Ooh. who gets her data from the nonpartisan Congressional Research Service. Acosta never explained his promotion of the bad reporting. The tweet remains on his account, giving the fake news legitimacy to CNN viewers. Number three, NBC News. In this story, published five years after the Sandy Hook massacre, NBC reports that Congress has passed no new gun control laws. Even when President Barack Obama was in office, that was true. But NBC gives every reason for this except a fact-based one. The reason Congress doesn't pass more gun control laws is that not one has ever been proven to reduce gun crime. Right. Instead, NBC puts the blame on anti-gun groups not being unified against the powerful NRA. That would come as a big surprise to the Second Amendment Foundation, Gun Owners of America, and other pro-Second Amendment groups. NBC also nonsensically reports that gun control groups can't compete with the resources of the NRA. It leaves out those groups receiving tens of millions of dollars from billionaire former New York City Michael Bloomberg, Mayor, or Mayor Michael Bloomberg, while the NRA is funded by its grassroots members. To cap off the bias in the story, NBC violates Journalism Rule 101, which is to ask a representative from the other side of the issue for a response. Why would you want to do that? Facts. Yeah. Just the yeah. facts. That's the thing. That's why we have to, in 2018, get rid of the bias reporting. If you can't get both sides of the story, then I don't want to hear from you. There's always two sides. You right. have to. Have to. I mean, if I had to do that when I was a kid, then CNN has to do it now. You know, like, what what happened? Oh, my sister did this. And they didn't ask your sister, and they, and they just like, grounded her. And then they were like, okay, what, what, did, what did he do to you? And I was always the one doing something wrong. <laughs> and she would have gotten in trouble. Yeah. Because if they didn't ask her, what happened? There's always two sides. There is. Except when it comes to CNN and mm-hmm. all the fake the news. The left. The tolerant the left. left. Tolerant left. So number four, The Economist. The Economist was once a reliable source of information on economics and finance, but as the gun story makes clear, the magazine is now a partisan tool of the left as well. In the November story about a tragic church shooting uh, in Texas, the Economist cites mass shooting data from Mother Jones, which is a far left outlet that rambles on and on and on in its own. Uh, anyway, rather than government agencies. Then the reporter writes that The shooter used an AR-15, which was prohibited in 1994, but legalized in 2004 when Americans' assault weapons ban expired. That's true, but not the whole story. The ban expired because Congress determined it was not effective in decreasing the number of homicides by a rifle. The reader is left with a false impression that the lack of gun ban was directly responsible for the horrific church shooting. Right. Which people have understood over the years that these gun bans are not stopping crime. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. Right. We need to stop the mentality of the people that are pulling the trigger. Not stop the guns. Guns don't kill people. And when you say that, it makes the left so angry. Right. Ah, you're just being... <laughs> the Economist does not even include data from the FBI, which would eliminate readers or illuminate readers about the issues of gun violence. The most recent statistics available are from 2016. 
The FBI data show that there were 11,004 homicides by firearm. Of those, only 374 were by rifles of any kind. So, that's a lot of homicides by firearm. But when you think about only 374 were by rifles, which an AR is just a rifle with cute accessories to make it look mean. I mean, that's like putting an attachment on your knife to make it look scarier. I love that they call it an assault <laughs> rifle. Everything's an assault. Like, Everything that can harm you is an assault well, weapon. Well, thankfully, all you had was, a, you know, one of those old Henry <laughs> lever action, you know, 30-30s. It wasn't an assault rifle. <laughs> so it, it didn't make that big of a deal. You know, it didn't make that much damage. We're not going to assault anybody with that. No, of course not. So number five, I'm very Is this the last one because my head is about to explode? This is the last one because, and I hate it because Associated Press is where I get a lot of my news from. But I also, raw news, I use their raw news feed. Mm -hmm. Almost every media outlet in the country, TV, print, and online pays the Associated Press to use its wire service to supplement or replace its own reporting. This means AP has an outsized impact on news reports because its work appears in everything from local newspapers to network news. Eagle-eyed Kargar Dolor recently tweeted to me, this AP story from today claims that authorities recovered a 40 millimeter pistol. (laughs) Clearly the reporter knows nothing about the basic ballistics of firearms. (laughs) And neither did the the editors. So the reporter here, she tweeted to the AP to correct this to a 40 caliber pistol, which they eventually corrected it. (laughs) Meanwhile, the mere, uh, the more educated public tweeted to me that 40 millimeters, the size of a cannon or grenade launcher. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's funny. Many of these mistakes would be funny if they weren't rooted in the ideological narrowness of the left. They show how the mainstream media deliberately attempts to confuse the public in order to build support for more gun control laws, which our forefathers did not want us to have. Right. We have laws. We have gun laws. It's called the Second Amendment. Um, At a higher level, the repeated bad reporting in just one area of the public debate that shows the top editors and managers in mainstream media assign reporters to cover gun crime Without any expertise on the subject, research into data or fact-checking. Uh, if it weren't for the conservative media and, and informed social media users, the average American might walk the streets in fear of being attacked by someone wielding a rifle with a chainsaw attached to the bottom of it or a 40-millimeter <laughs> pistol. 40-millimeter. <laughs> yep, definitely. 40-millimeters, 40, 40 that's huge. <laughs> I mean, can, can I just say, you know, all this... You know, and I, I heard them talking about, you know, the security for the New Year's Eve mm-hmm. celebration in New York and everything like that because of the Las Vegas attack and, you know, because of other attacks and, and everything. But, uh, you know, and my heart goes out to the the people that have been killed in mass shootings. You know, I, I pray for their families. I pray for all of them, you know, um, but there's been such an outcry from the left and from celebrities in particular, you know, you had Jimmy Kimmel, you know, wiping tears and yeah. begging for gun control, which gun, in no kind of gun control could have stopped the Las Vegas shooting. No. But well, if I could just just for a minute, sure. um, 
I, you know, what was it, 52 that were killed in Las Vegas? Mm-hmm. Is that the number, 52? I, so. I can look that up. And, and, and it's terrible and horrible, and my heart goes out to them, everything, okay? I'm a pastor. I, you know, I, I feel bad for anyone who is, is innocent life is taken, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, so you're not mocking them. No, I'm not mocking them in no way. So you can't, can't say that. Take, can't, don't take me out of context. But anyways, 52 killed in Las Vegas by a shooting and you've got celebrities weeping on TV, begging for gun control. What about the 165 that were killed in Las Vegas? Anybody want to talk about them? One, according to NPR.org, there are roughly 165 visitors, not people who live in Las Vegas, who commit suicide every year. Visitors? Visitors. People that don't live there. In Gulfport, Mississippi. 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 Yeah. Suicide increased by 213% in the first two years, two years after casinos arrived. In neighboring Biloxi, suicide attempts jumped by 1,000%. In the first year alone after casinos arrived. Because people Wh- lost all their money. Why isn't ever anybody crying, begging for gambling to stop? Right. What about the ones who don't commit suicide but end up losing their families and their homes and everything like that else? And, and because of gambling and prostitution that happens in Las Vegas. Children who have no father. Families that are broken. Lives that are ruined because of gambling and prostitution. Why is there no one crying over gambling? Why is there no one crying over prostitution? Right. Why are there no TVs on tele, uh, 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 celebrities on TV begging for casinos to shut down? It's not going to happen. Mm-mm. What about the 88,000 per year that die from alcohol? But what about the other people that die, like black on black crime that right. you don't hear about there's in so Chicago? Many, but and... if you want to talk about things that, that really are, I mean, 88,000. It's because it was all at once. Right. All 88... It's not the one here, the one there, the one here, the one here. They don't care about that. Excessive alcohol use leads to approximately 88,000 deaths in America per year, and I have never, ever, ever heard a celebrity get on TV and beg and plead <laughs> for someone to, to, for us to make alcohol illegal. No, they're selling it. And it's 88,000 people per year. And Every day, almost 30 people in the United States die in motor vehicle crashes mm-hmm. that involve an alcohol-impaired driver. This amounts to one death every 51 minutes. That's crazy. That's insane. But, I mean, of course, immediately when I say this, there's people listening saying, well, my goodness, 96.5, the answer, and then people are saying we need to make alcohol illegal. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you're going to cry about something, let's cry about something that's real. Right. Well, why, if you're going to cry about guns, why not cry about alcohol? Why not cry about gambling? Why not cry about prostitution? Right? Because those are money makers. Exactly. Exactly. We're not going to put a stop to that. Mm-mm. So... I mean, if we're going to cry about one thing that that is terrible, and yes, people have been killed and everything like that. Well, what about the guy who who stopped the crazy man who was shooting people in a church with a rifle? That's right. He stopped him. Stopped him with a rifle. But that don't he count. Was, and that our, don't count. No, of course that doesn't count. But if if there's going to be backlash against anything. Let, let's backlash against, I mean, let, let, let's stand up against everything that causes death or, or that causes problems or whatever. And you'll find that it's a whole lot more. And see, you know, of course, I'm a pastor and I'm not trying to get too spiritual or sure anything. You are. But I it's not a gun face. problem. It's a sin problem. People do bad things. And because of that, there's bad things in the world. Well, we're going to talk more about that and let Cody rant some more. He's going to take a breath for a minute. Whoo. Whoo. <laughs> if we'll people be, can just do what's right. We'll be right back.
Hey guys, we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Val Lemons, uh, sitting in for Dave the rest of the week. I've got Cody Price with me in the studio, and we're talking about yeah. fake gun news and just misinformation, throw mm-hmm. it out there by the left, and just, I'm still blown away by the 40 millimeter pistol. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Report. <laughs> and putting a chainsaw on an AR-15. That, can you imagine carrying that sucker around? I mean, does that seem like something like... Uh, like they wouldn't hear like you Ash. coming. <laughs> does that seem like something Ash would carry? Yes, I was thinking that. Um, what was that movie? Evil Dead. Evil Dead, yes. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. I couldn't think of the movie, though. I love Ash. That would be perfect for a sequel. Throw a chainsaw on the bottom of his AR. Or throw an AR on the top of his chainsaw. Right, I guess, yeah. Because <laughs> he already has it. Right? <laughs> well, Cody, thanks for sitting in with me today and... And uh, I know your head didn't explode after that rant. Yeah, but it was good. It's good. To, it's good to get it out. Right. I just Woo-sah. sometimes I just feel like I'm cra- taking crazy pills. Mm-hmm. And these people just you know they, they they don't they are not attached to reality in any form at all. Nope. And they expect us to listen to them. Yeah. I'm not and believe them. To celebrities. And the problem is, see, when I was in school, we were all we were told to get to more than one source. Uh, right. Two sources, two sides of the story. Ask all the questions and report on the facts, mm-hmm. not your biases. Right. Your facts. And actually get the facts. And actually right. get the facts right, and not by an email interview, either. This just in. I got an email caliber. from forty millimeter. Forty millimeter <laughs> pistol, y'all. <laughs> not a caliber. Oh, yeah. Millimeter. Millimeter. We're coming back here in a second. We're going to have Jan Morgan joining us. We're going to talk about her bid for governor. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbro Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. Hey, we are back on the Dave Ellswick show. I'm sorry, Cody just gives us a drum off in here whenever he's here. That uh, intro there. Um, well, we have on the phone with us Jan Morgan. Hey, Jan, how you doing? Hey, Val. Great. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. That's right. I was. That was one of my first questions for you. How did you get to relax on Christmas? Are you kidding me? I, well, <laughs> actually, I will. I will tell you this. This is the calm before the storm, and my husband and I decided because we knew that that we actually did not do the big family thing this year for Christmas. We ran away. We went to Queen Wilhelmina Lodge and hid out. Had Christmas feast there, which I highly recommend, by the way. Uh, and then came back home. We were going to ride motorcycles, but it, you know, thirty-four degrees on the motorcycle, a little too cool. So, but it was very quiet Christmas. Well, good. And it's probably the last quiet that I will have for some time. Well, because you have you have a big event coming up uh, on New Year's Eve. Yes, we do. 
And, and, uh, and, and no, I'm, and no, I'm not going to tell you what we're going to announce. Dead gummit, Jan. <laughs> now you know I can't, I can't do that. But, I know. But I, you know, as of New Year's Day, the people in the state of Arkansas will know uh, what we're going to do and how we're going to proceed in the future. It will be either as a citizen activist for the people of the state. Either way, you can rest assured, regardless of what we announce on New Year's Eve. Regardless, I will continue to fight for the people of this state. It will be either as a citizen activist or as a candidate for governor and eventually as governor of the state. Strategically speaking, obviously, I would be in a better position to fight for the people if I was in the governor's seat, but we'll see. And so your event starts at 8 o'clock on uh, New Year's Eve? 8 o'clock on New Year's Eve, and uh, we will have uh, – I don't know what they have planned for the program because the uh, campaign team has kept that from me. It's a big secret. No. All I know, all I know is I get to attend, and <laughs> there is a video that's going to play that includes my announcement of what we're going to do and how we're going to proceed from here. And uh, then we're going to have a big party, and uh, all the folks there will be ringing in the New Year together. So and how we'll can, be joining, how can yeah, people join ahead. you for that? Uh, you, it is a ticketed event. You, it's not open to the public. Uh, it is a ticketed event, and it's a $50 fee. You have to go on to the Five Star Theater. It's in downtown Hot Springs. Go on to their website, thefivestartheater.com, and then scroll down, and you'll find the Jan Morgan event. You click on that, and you get your ticket. And uh, last time I checked, if it wasn't already sold out, it was pretty darn close. So I saw uh, today it that it was uh, had a couple of tickets left, but not many. So, okay. I mean, there's still okay. a couple if people want to get that uh so how is the how is the fundraising been going? Well, you know, I, it, it, it's kind of hard to. I don't want to talk too much about the fundraising because you obviously uh, people aren't going to give very much to someone who's an exploratory right. stage. They don't want to give their money to someone who's saying I'm Maybe. thinking about it. Right? Yeah, they want they want to make sure that their money is going to pay for the fight that will surely ensue uh, in the months ahead. So, but you know what? I, I will tell you this, Val. Regardless of of what comes in in the way of fundraising, shall we decide to continue and announce that on New Year's Day? This race will be historical on many fronts if we proceed, and here's why. Uh, Jan Morgan, unlike any candidate probably in the history of this country running for governor, would not be looking for the big money people. The people who support Jan are going to be the grassroots citizens of this state, just like the people that supported Donald Trump. It's the people that have been forgotten. Historically and in most elections, it has been proven that the upper 10 percent of the economic elite in a state are the ones who affect public policy. But what's so exciting that we've seen with the Trump election is that suddenly that trend is changing and people have discovered that, hey, this system that our founding fathers gave us, actually gives all of us a voice, not just the money people, and that if we strap on our boots and get out there and work hard and vote and educate people on the issues, that we can actually affect public policy. We can elect people who are truly going to be our voice. So unlike Asa, who has, what, close to $2 million in his campaign account, uh, Jan Morgan will be, would be running her campaign on a shoestring budget. If we can run a lean campaign, that should prove to the people that Jan Morgan will do what she says, which is run a lean government. Uh, one of the biggest problems we have in Arkansas, upon listening to people around the state and looking at our budget, and I've met with a number of senators and, and uh, representatives of our state who work closely with the state budget to get educated on that. You know, we're seeing a lot of waste there, Val, that could be cut. Our citizens, we are one of the most heavily taxed. Uh, state in America. Our citizens are carrying a huge tax, tax burden, while on the other hand, we are 17th highest tax in the nation, yet we are one of the poorest 
state in America. And that's a problem. Uh, our, our state is using every single taxing entity allowed on the citizens of this state. That is egregious, and that is why we're losing the affluent from this state. That is why businesses are migrating to other states. We've got our, our corporate uh, taxes is absurd. Our citizens are being taxed to death, and those are some things that we're going to work on uh, in the future if I get to proceed as, as a governor candidate. If not, I'm going to proceed as a citizen activist, and we're going to work on educating people about uh, how we can fix our tax problem. We've got a regulatory problem in this state. We've got a taxing problem, not a revenue problem, as Governor <laughs> Hutchison uh, says. And we also have a Second Amendment problem. And uh, though I, I try to stay away from Second Amendment stuff because I want people to understand there's a lot more to me than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just within the past couple of days, I'm sure you're aware mm-hmm. of what the governor has done on the Second Amendment front. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about that, actually. Uh, what do you think drove him to finally give us a letter well, or directive first, to the state police? Okay. First of all, he is overstepping his constitutional authority by dictating that letter to state police. The governor is not responsible for telling police what they can and cannot do, number one. Mm. Number two, that he also sent that he also sent that letter to prosecuting attorneys around this state, and many of them are irate because that is not his position and, and he doesn't have a right to do that. Number one. Number two, let's let's talk about what the governor has said in that letter. The governor has said in that letter, as well as on his Facebook page, look at the governor's Facebook page, he says Arkansas is a constitutional carry state. But then, Val, in the very next sentence of his same post, he says, yet that is not inconsistent with uh, a licensing for people to conceal carry. Okay, Val, for people that don't understand what constitutional carry is, this is not Jan Morgan's definition. This is a legal definition. The legal definition of constitutional carry means no licensing required. That means you can carry open or concealed without a license. That is what Article 2 of our state constitution says, that that the people of this state have the right to keep and bear arms. And furthermore, Val, if you go on down in our Arkansas constitution, which I assume the governor has read it, uh, (laughs) maybe he's just forgotten that, Article 2, Section 29 further clarifies and guards against any encroachment by a state government to regulate or infringe on this right of the people. So for the governor to say in one sentence, we have constitutional carry, and then he, he and then in the next sentence to say, but that is not inconsistent with uh, a requirement of licensing by state police to carry. It's absurd, and it's egregious. And in his effort to try to look like Jan Morgan as a strong Second Amendment advocate, what he's done is stepped on the toes of every gun owner in this state by telling them, okay, well, you can open carry without a license, but the way I see it, you still have to get a license from state police. Uh, The governor's wrong. He is wrong about that. Constitutional carry is what this state has. It doesn't matter what he thinks or how he interprets it. What matters is what is in the law. And if the people of the state don't like that law, then the people can get it changed. But right now, that's what we have. And he can't overstep the law and overstep his authority as governor and start making law and telling us that we have to have a license to conceal carry. He cannot. You cannot name a statute that says that citizens in the state are required to have a permit to conceal carry. It doesn't exist. Wow. Well, that's good information to know. Um, however, I, I mean, why were why was everyone asking him to address the state police then in this letter if if he doesn't have a right to do that? I'm that's confusing to the folks. reason the reason he was asked to address it is because there's so much confusion right around the state. All right. The problem for the governor is 
if he had given the state police accurate information, it wouldn't have been a bad deal because he's not trying to change the law with what he's saying. What he's saying is in conflict with Arkansas law. That's the problem. If he was just clarifying to the, to the agencies in the state what Arkansas law already states, that's fine. That's a clarification. What he's done is overstep that and decided on his own that you have to have a license to conceal carry in this state. And that's not his position and his decision to make. Right. He's going to have to change the law and get the law changed if that's what he is, if that's what he wants to do. And he did push for further infringements on the, the gun rights of citizens in this state with the enhanced carry. That right. became more infringements, I know, as a, as a concealed carry instructor. Uh, I've seen it's an additional 30 pages of, of infringements and restrictions. It, you're better off without that enhanced, believe me. Right now, the way that stands, you're more likely to get in trouble with your gun trying to carry legally if you have the enhanced than you are if you if you don't have a license at all. Really? The bottom line is, yes, the bottom line is this, Val. The citizens of this state need to know and understand that the Republican Party, we're supposed to be the party about liberty. We're supposed to be the party that is strong and solid on Second Amendment. And our party has been in control of this state with the governor's office, with the House and the Senate, we've had Republican control now for, what, three to four years. There is no excuse for there to still be confusion on the issue of carry rights in this state. The Republican Party should be the party that is telling the citizens, look, we don't discriminate against financially disadvantaged people. That's what licensing does. Because requiring people to get a license, Val, is not going to cut gun crime. Bad guys don't ask for a concealed carry license from state police. No, bad guys carry anyway. But you've got single moms out there, Val, who can't afford, barely afford to buy a gun. Right. But they've got to protect themselves and their kids. Mm -hmm. Right now, what Asa Hutchinson is saying is the only way you can carry is you have to pay state police $140 or you have to open carry your gun. Well, a lot of people aren't comfortable open carrying. Right. You know, that, that just doesn't fit everybody. And, in fact, I don't recommend it unless you've had weapons retention training. Yeah, I don't so, like open carry myself yeah. because that's the first person that's going to be taken out in an event is well, you, if I they dis- see you have I, a gun. I disagree with you on that, but that's for another show. Right. The bottom line is, <laughs> let me get back to that. You and I need to talk about that sometimes. But the, the, the bottom line to that is this. You, you can't, you've got fathers out there who need to protect their families. They can't afford, they're barely making it paycheck to paycheck. And our governor is telling them, you have to pay state police $140 for a license. Otherwise, you have to open carry. That's what he's saying to the people, and it's wrong. First of all, it's in conflict with Arkansas law. And secondly, as a Republican, he should be ashamed of himself for promoting that position in a public format. And the only reason I can think of for him to do that is because he knows he may be facing a a very strong 2A primary uh, candidate in the next month. And he's trying to appear strong on 2A. But actually, what he just did was alienate every gun owner in the state. He knows better. And I have a question that Drew Tanner, who I had on earlier, I'm sure you're familiar with that case, uh, the Cersei Walmart. um, He would like to know, as governor, if you if you go ahead with your run for bid for governor, how would you curb the infringement and harassment on gun rights uh, from law enforcement agencies like the state police? Sure. Well, first of all, you have to understand the reason the harassment exists is because of a muddied water by our current leadership. And that includes our Attorney General Leslie Rutledge all the way up to the governor's office. That's the reason for the confusion. If people could just look at state law and go by what state law says, there is no confusion. And as governor, day one, day one, I will clarify to the people of the state, look, Article 2 of our Arkansas Constitution 
gives you, the citizens of the state, the right to keep and bear arms. And furthermore, Article 2, Section 29 further clarifies that any form of encroachment or infringement is in violation of the Arkansas Constitution. So you have a right to keep and bear arms, and that includes carrying guns in the state. Now, that's not me making law. That's me simply stating this is what our current law says in the state of Arkansas. Now, it's not up to prosecuting attorneys in county by county, as your previous governor just said. See, Governor Hutchison is telling people, regardless of what the law says, you are subject to the interpretation of the law by each county prosecutor, which means right now, Val, if I'm traveling from one county to another, I've got to worry about what the next county prosecutor, how he might view open carry, if I'm open carry, right. or right. if I get you know caught concealed. So I would just clarify to the people what the law already says. And if the people in mass in this state don't like that, then it's up to the people to pressure their legislators to change that. The governor is not the all-powerful tyrant and ruler of the state. The governor is a servant to the people. And I would guide my attorney general to step up there with me and let's tell the people, this is what your Article 2 of the Arkansas Constitution states, and here's what Section 29 states, and then it's further backed up by 746 for further clarification. So unless this is changed, or until this is changed, this is what we have. So all you folks out there, if you want to conceal hand, see, and here about is one of the governor's done this. I've talked to him about this. He and I had a long conversation out in a conference room with a few witnesses, of course, uh, and I asked him to clarify this for the people, and he wouldn't do it back then because he didn't want to step off into this, because he admitted to me, just like he did on his Facebook page, that we have constitutional carry in Arkansas. But what he didn't want to say is, and what he followed it up with is, well, but the uh, but the state police depend on that money. Right. And that's what and my, my that's what my take on it was, why he said that, because well, sure. Drew and I were talking about that. That has. And I understand that. And I am as pro law enforcement as you can get. But in all fairness, and this is what I told the governor, I said, with all due respect, sir, Arkansas state police need to be making their money off the backs of the criminals in this state, not the law abiding citizens. All right. Right. Uh, so. That and, and still, even then, even though we have a constitutional right to carry, I can assure you, Val, there are still going to be thousands upon thousands of people who still want that concealed handgun license. And they're going to come to state police to get that because with that license, if you're traveling outside of Arkansas in states that don't have constitutional carry, you've got reciprocity, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, when you go to buy a firearm, it makes it so much quicker and easier. If you've got that license, you can slap it down on the table and walk out with that gun. You don't have to wait for a background check because right. you've already been you've been through the system. So, I mean, I, I as pro-Second Amendment as I am, I have a concealed handgun license. And even though I'm a concealed handgun license and certainly uh, would stand to lose financially should people not have to have that license to carry, I'm still fighting for people to understand. And I tell every single person that comes here for my classes, I say, look, just so you know, you do not have to have a license to carry a gun in this state. I want you to know that. You're taking my class for the training that we offer. Uh, but that's what I would do is just clarify to the people and make sure they understood. On the Drew Tanner case, he would need to know that, that there won't be any more confusion. Yeah. Uh, and prosecuting attorneys don't have a leg to stand on. You have to have a statute. You have to have something to support uh, a charge that you bring against an individual. And right now, they're, you know, Carrying a gun without a license is not you. You can't charge somebody with that. Right. Not in this state. Right. And and I just think that that the whole thing surrounding the attorney general, even not even just clarifying that for the longest. Um, what well, she uh, still believes that. I mean. Well, you have you have to understand, regardless of what Leslie Rutledge believes, the problem for Leslie is the same problem that the Republican legislators who've been acting and voting like Democrats in the last session. <laughs> 
they all have the same problem. Mm. It's called strong arm twisting from the governor's office. And I don't mind the governor twisting arms of Republicans who are misbehaving and acting like Democrats, but I do mind when the governor of this state is twisting their arms to vote and represent like Democrats. That's where he and I got crossed. And the last thing Asa Hutchinson said to me when I had my one-on-one meeting with him and I shook his hand and thanked him for his time as I was leaving, the last thing he said to me was, well, I know you're not going away. And I looked him in the eyes and I said, no, sir, you got that right. But here's where you're wrong. It's not me that's not going away, sir. It is the people of this state. They've had enough. I am simply a voice and I will be back. And I'm sticking to my words, Al. Well, when can we, um, well, I know that you were making the announcement on New Year's Eve at your New Year's Eve bash in Hot Springs, but either way it goes, can we expect a white paper on your positions, including like things like taxes, like you were just talking about, um, yes. and other issues? Yes. When can we expect something uh, on, like that? On my, on my website, and I'll be glad to talk to you now or anything. Okay, sure. My, yeah. my, my policy positions, we've, uh, we will have on our website our policy, policy positions laid out on jobs. And these are policies based on, I've spent the past six months traveling around this state, listening to the people and talking to the people. And these are the, the things that matter most to them, that they're most concerned about. Jobs, number one, uh, my position is government does not create jobs. People create businesses, and businesses create jobs. Uh, and I've got, you know, a lot to say about that issue. Taxes, obviously, uh, we need a tax overhaul in this state, and there's a lot we can do to to uh, to lighten the tax burden on the people and the businesses in this state without affecting the the uh, the vulnerable and the people that depend on uh, state funds. Government spending is huge. One of the biggest ways we can help this state is to cut spending. We have some egregious uh, overspending that is just. I mean, I, I, people are going to be outraged. When they, if they just take the time to look at how our state government is spending their tax dollars, it will blow your mind. Second Amendment, everybody knows where I'm going to stand on that. I'm pro-life. Education is a big concern to people in this state. We're tired of the phrase, thank God for Mississippi. Uh, I'm against <laughs> Common Core. I've, I've heard some teachers. I've got a panel of teachers who I'm working with who have talked to me because those are the people who know what's going on in their schools, and they're the ones who are responsible for teaching our, our kids. And they want school choice. Uh, people want school choice. Parents want school choice. And competition among schools is good for uh, the students. It's great. Transparency in government, I'm really big on that. I saw enough at our state capitol to know that the people, the reason the people aren't educated on the issues in our state is because of uh, the way our government is not completely transparent. And one of the things we would do is make government more transparent by giving people, the people, total access to what their legislators are doing on a daily basis. And I'll be glad to talk at length about that another time. Uh, crime and law enforcement. Crime is a huge problem in this state. Uh, Little Rock is number one per capita for crime. Uh, at one time, I think it's a little bit better now, but that's, that is totally unacceptable. I've been working with people in law enforcement around the state and have some great ideas about how we can address that issue. Um, Health care, obviously, is a huge problem. Our governor stepped off on the wrong foot with that. Uh, had he done what Scott Walker did, we'd be in much better shape. So uh, we, we've got some ideas on that as well. Agriculture, as you know, agriculture is the leading industry in Arkansas, and our farmers are uh, very upset about some, some legislation by the governor and some things that our government has done that need to be addressed. Veterans, I love our veterans. They know that I'm in their corner, so they know they're going to be okay with Jan Morgan as governor. Uh, the General Improvement Fund is a big problem. Uh, of course, we know some state lawmakers got in trouble over those funds. That is extra tax dollars, uh, our money, the, the people's money, that uh, our state legislators can turn around 
and give back uh, to entities in their cities or in their regions without any kind of legislative oversight. And that is, a, there's been a lot of misuse of taxpayers' money there. Uh, I would like to, we're going to have to address that. And one of the things I would eliminate day one is the governor's discretionary fund. Our Arkansas State Supreme Court ruled that the gift fund that our state lawmakers were caught uh, misusing uh, for political buddies and kickbacks, some of our lawmakers, not all of them, uh, found that that was unconstitutional because of the lack of legislative oversight. The governor's discretionary fund has no legislative oversight, Val. Hey, Jan, has, can we um, yes. can we hold on? And I want to talk about the gift funds a little bit more, okay. um, but sure. we have to take a quick break. Can you stay with me? Absolutely. Okay, we'll be right back, y'all. And we're back uh, just for about 30 seconds, and then we're going to continue our conversation with Jan Morgan. Um, and we thank you, Jan, for for coming and joining us and helping explain some of this of this this letter that was sent out today as well, mm-hmm. because I don't think a lot Absolutely. of people saw it and they don't understand that, like you said, because they don't really just go in and look at the law. Right. Well, the governor further confused everyone by in one sentence saying we have constitutional carry in this state and in the next sentence saying, well, actually, but that's not in uh, inconsistent with requiring a license to carry. It is inconsistent. He right. either needs, he's either, he either people of this state right back. so ignorant. Okay. <laughs> and we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. I've got Jan Morgan on the phone with me. And Jan, I'm sorry we cut you off. Get that again. <laughs> I've got to get better at my timing on that. Um, however, we were talking about, I wanted to talk about the gift funds. Uh, of course, you yes, say that you would had, eliminate you that. But. Me, you had asked me before the break, you had started in on this constitutional carry thing again, and we All right. were, I was cut off before I finished my sentence. Oh, I sure. Yeah, go ahead. That up first. Let's wrap that issue yeah. before we go into something else. Once again, uh, the governor said that we have constitutional carry in this state. And then he turns around and sends a letter to state police and prosecuting attorneys in this state and says, once again, we have constitutional carry in this state. Yet he follows that up with another sentence that says that is not inconsistent with a licensing requirement. Uh, I suggest that Governor Asa Hutchinson is doing one of two things here. He either thinks the citizens of this state are so ignorant that they don't know what constitutional carry is or he doesn't know what the definition of constitutional carry is, and that's unacceptable as well. Neither excuse for what he has done is acceptable. Look it up. The definition of constitutional carry is permitless carry, and that refers to the legal carrying of a handgun either openly or concealed without a license or permit. So that's what the governor needs to say. If he wants to be strong 2A, he can stand up and do what I've asked him to do all along, and that is to admit to the people that according to Article 2 of the Arkansas Constitution, we do have a constitutional carry of that of, in this state. Arkansas is a constitutional carry state. Per Article 2 of the Arkansas Constitution, no permit required, open or concealed, period. That would clarify everything and end all the confusion. He will not do it because money is the bottom line, not the people of this state and the people who are uh, financially disadvantaged in their need to be able to carry, okay? Yeah. So now let's move on. To, uh, by the way, on that issue as well as a number of other issues, Governor Asa Hutchinson really needs to switch parties. He, he, he governs in his position on the Second Amendment, on growing government, on regulatory burdens, on uh, government spending. All of that is more consistent with the Democratic Party platform than that of the Republican Party platform. So if he would just switch parties, he and I would get along a lot better. On the gift fund, here, here's my position on that. We should eliminate the general improvement fund, Val. We should, impro- we should eliminate that fund spending 
uh, and there should be more openness and transparency in the spending of the appropriated money we have. We've seen way too much corruption and abuse of this fund. Now, I do support the needs of entities such as local fire departments and counties. Their needs should be addressed by less tax dollars going to the state so that more can stay at the local level. And all of those seeking state funds for special projects should be subject to examination and oversight of the people's elected representatives through the appropriations process. Now, the governor also has a fund similar to that called the Governor's Discretionary Fund. And just like that gift fund that legislators have, there is no legislative oversight. And what he does with that fund is egregious. That is our tax dollars, the surplus of our tax dollars. There was $20 million at one time. I think it's closer to $100 million now, where that governor can sit there and take that money and say, you know what, and this is what he's done. He gave over $950,000 to a Taekwondo and Associates to, to put a building in downtown Little Rock. He gave over $2 million to Ben E. Keith Company. And he can, he can give this money to, to his political buddies. And see, that is, that is corporate welfare, number one. Number two, it is redistribution of the wealth. Those are our tax dollars. And he can turn around and give them to his business buddies for their private business entities that we have to compete against. Now, can you imagine what a private business owner could do with that kind of incentive? It, it opens the door for all kinds of corruption. It's wrong. It's, it's misuse of the taxpayers' money. And as governor, day one, I would eliminate the governor's discretionary fund. I, I, I would eliminate it. That it, it's, it's, it's wrong. It's not fair. And it needs to uh, disappear. And I'm surprised that the governor uh, didn't do that on day one when he became governor as a Republican. Yeah. I mean, I think you're not alone in, thinking, in, that, in that thinking there. Right. Of course I'm not. And, but these are things that a lot of people don't know about. Because our government's done a, done a really good job of hiding things from people. And uh, I, I can tell you, I learned a lot in the time that I spent at the state capitol last year, Val. Uh, and what I saw was so disheartening. That's why I pulled off the national stage. And the folks at Fox News know this. I, I pulled off the national front. I'm, I'm on uh, very little now because I told them, and I pulled off of all of my national speaking engagements and, and have focused on, this state, because what I saw in a few weeks at our state capitol was so concerning and disheartening, because I know what it's like to try to run a business in the state. My husband's a small business owner, uh, and, and listening to the people around this state, I discovered that a lot of folks feel the way I do. And it was those calls for me to step up to the plate and fight for them after they saw me fight for them in House Judiciary. You know that little video that Arkansas Times shot that went uh, went viral? Yeah where I delivered that blistering admonishment to Republicans and House Judiciary who were voting and acting like Democrats. You go, girl. Voting against their, yeah. So, well, that video went viral, and that was the beginning of it all. That was, that was when the people of the state said, wow, there's somebody who's, who's standing up and fighting for us, and she's not even on our payroll. Right. It, 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 it was that moment that, that opened the eyes of people, and they started looking at what was happening in their state government. And that's what I had hoped to accomplish. I knew, Val, when I went out there, I wasn't going to be able to change those votes because those votes were decided behind closed doors and smoke-filled rooms long before that day. Mm -hmm. But I went in there with the hope of generating enough of an upstir that people would start paying attention to their government. And regardless of what happens with this governor's race, I'm going to continue to fight for the people until we either fix this state or they take me down. <laughs> I mean, one way or the other, I'm in this fight. I am committed. Well, I don't think they're uh, going to take you down. I hear the gun range in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am at the gun range right now. Sorry about that. It's no, it's awesome. Fire. I love it. 
people would kid me about that my perfume is the gunpowder because no matter what kind of perfume I put on every day, when I get out in the public, I'm going to smell like, uh, in fact, when I go through the airport through TSA, they, I, I have to go through the whole pat down because, oh. you know, there's residue in my hair, it's in my clothes, it's just. And, know, the, and they, they pull you aside, so you have to go early, huh? Every time. That's every crazy. Time. I have to go through the full game, but that's okay. That's all right. We, 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 we get through it. I just explain, and then they understand why there's gun residue in my hair, you know, the powder <laughs> residue and that sort of thing. So. Right. I'm not a terrorist. No. <laughs> yes. Oh, but you asked earlier how people can find my positional policies, because yes. that's one of the things people have been asking about. Everybody knows where I stand on Second Amendment, but what, what they don't know about is that I have been fighting for the people my entire life. My entire life as an investigative journalist has been to expose waste, fraud, and abuse in government. It's been about fighting for the people uh, against uh, government and corporate tyrants. Uh, so I have a history of fighting. Uh, my whole life has been, I've been a conservative. My mom will tell you I was a conservative in the womb. And she, <laughs> she can explain that. But so uh, that, this is not really new. It's just new that I am, I am in the middle of this fight for the people in this state. Uh, you know, I, I was just a citizen of the state doing my thing and, and working on the national level, but now I'm committed and I'm here. And uh, we're not going away. Well, we're we're glad to have you with us, Jan, and fighting for us. And I want to ask you, I don't know if you saw the story a couple of weeks ago about um, governor in D.C. arguing for NAFTA. Mm-hmm. Did you hear about that? Right. Yeah, I, I did. I did. Uh, of course, I heard about it. <laughs> are, well, uh, yeah. obviously, yeah. But I mean, what is your take on that? And how would you approach that? Uh, well, I'm going to be on the same side as uh, President Trump on that issue. So, you know, the governor has spent a lot of time uh, standing against President Trump. In fact, he was a never-Trumper for a while, and then when it became apparent that the people of Arkansas stood with Donald Trump in the election and Donald Trump won the state of Arkansas by a landslide, the governor decided to start changing his tune and uh, trying to, you know, change his tune even on MSNBC. Oh, by the way, if you want to know, the biggest, the, the, the biggest, the clearest way to see the difference between Asa Hutchinson and Jan Morgan when people say, well, you're a Republican and he's a Republican, how are you different? The governor is most comfortable and spends all of his time on MSNBC. Jan Morgan is most comfortable and spends all of her time opining on Fox. That should... That should say, say it all right there. Wow. Uh, the, the governor has spent a lot of time bashing President Trump before Trump was elected. Then after he was elected, he tried to, you know, cozy up to him because he saw the, the writing on the wall there. But the fact of the matter is uh, he is in conflict with President Trump. My position is uh, it, it, I agree with President Trump. I think that it, it needs to be we need to start over on that front and go back and, and renegotiate. If we're going to be a part of it, we need to renegotiate our position. We have, America has been the, has been on the, the bad side yeah. of so many deals. Yeah, you know. So we we need to we're in a position of power, and we need to to utilize that power to get a better deal on a number of fronts. I completely so agree I, with that. Yeah, I agree with President Trump on that. I do understand. You know, the, the farmers in this state. There were some farmers that uh, were concerned about NAFTA, and I, I do understand their positions, and I do. Uh, share the concerns of the farmers, but there's a way to renegotiate that that benefits everyone. Well, especially and, uh, and benefits us yeah. because as it exactly. stands, everyone else, all the other state country, countries around us are benefiting and we're like exactly. just, okay, here we are, take exactly. our money. <laughs> yes, ma'am. You're right. You got it. Well, Jan, is there anything else that you would like to talk to folks about? Uh, the only other thing I would like to close with is this. Uh, you know, if we step forward and proceed on January 1, the people of the state need to understand that Jan Morgan is not a politician. I will never be a politician. All right. I am, if I step into this race, doing this because the people have stood up 
and by the thousands asked me to do this to help them because we can't wait another four years for Tim Griffin to decide he's going to step up and, and take over and represent the, the conservatives in this state. We need, we need help now. We can't do another four years of this. And the people need to know that my entire position toward government as a leader would be very different from that of Asa Hutchinson. Jan Morgan understands that the governor is a servant to the people. I understand that the legislators in this state are servants to the people. We're not the rulers over the people. We're to serve them. And we have for too long ignored their interests, and our government in this state has represented the interests of big business instead of the people at large. That has to change, and it has to change now. And anything and everything I do as governor would be for the best interest of the people at large, not a few large major donors. In fact, Val, if you look at the numbers and the, and the names and the donations that are coming in for this campaign, you won't see any big Walmart executives or Murphy Oil or any of those big money people. They're, there's the little folks. But those are the people that matter most to me. And if I become governor, the people of this state are going to have a voice, and we're going to restore the power back to the people of this state, and we're going to reiterate the state motto, which is regnet populus, the people rule. And once again, the people will be in control of their government. Well, that's fantastic, Jan, and I can't wait to hear your announcement. Okay, I hope we get to see you at the party. Well, I'm planning on I'm planning on uh, trying to get a ticket after we hang up here because I forgot to do that earlier. I was working on the well, show. Well, maybe I can help you with that. Okay, <laughs> we'll that would be great. I might have some influence with my campaign. We'll see. <laughs> Right. Well, and, and Jan, Jan, you're welcome anytime back. Uh, I know I know you come on with Dave every now and then, but you're welcome on my show right. as well on Saturdays if there's anything you. that you ever want to, to get out to folks. And yes, absolutely. And just tell the folks that once uh, after today, after we, uh, we make an announcement on New Year's, whatever that announcement is going to be, there will be a website, janmorganforgovernor.com. And on that website, my policy positions, well, I should say my, actually, they are the people's policy positions. This is based on what the people of this state have told me they want uh, for their government. Our policy positions, ours, the people, will be on the Jan Morgan for Governor website on all the major issues, and they can check those out and read in detail where we stand on all those issues based on what the people have told us they want. Okay? Well, Jan, we have a caller. Oh, they just hung up. They wanted to get my producers telling me, is that what did they want? They're looking for your contact information. My contact information. Okay. Uh, we will. We do have a campaign headquarters. If you will look on my social media page, Val, I promoted this, uh, this appearance on your show. Yeah, I saw underneath that. Underneath that, okay, underneath that promotion, I will actually have my campaign manager put a, a contact information on there that can get people in touch with our campaign headquarters. Our headquarters is located in Hot Springs, Arkansas, with information on uh, our mailbox as well as uh, our website and all that. So. Okay. I'll be looking okay. for that, and then if and we you... will continue to travel around this state. By the way, we're we are going to be traveling around this state, talking to people. Either way, regardless of what we announce, we're in this fight, and we're going to be traveling around the state, listening and talking to the people. Oh yeah, I know. We know that you're. On. We know you're not going anywhere, Jan. Regardless of how yes. this works out. I mean, okay. that's all right. We appreciate you coming and talking with us, and you have a happy, happy new, year. new year. And I hope happy that year. I see you on New Year's. So I'm. I, gonna, I hope so too. Try to make that we'll work. Touch. Okay. <laughs> bye bye. Thanks, darling. And uh, you have that. That was a lot of information uh, on her issues and policies. And we might replay that tomorrow in the 5 o'clock hour. We might go ahead and do that for the folks that didn't get to hear it today. Um, I guess we'll take a break and we'll come back and then we'll...
talk about some more stuff, Arkansas. And I, this is Val Emmons, and we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. And I want to thank Jan Morgan, who was just with us. And if you missed that, we're going to ha- replay it on tomorrow's 5 o'clock hour. So I can get out of here early. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, also, I wanted to talk about, just continue this hour with Arkansas. Uh, apparently, Arkansas has launched now a data analytics workforce initiative. The governor's office says it hopes to piggyback on the state's already above average growth in that sector. And this article is from State Scope or Scoop. Arkansas Governor uh, Asa Hutchinson has proposed a new organization to foster tech jobs and provide digital education training for residents. It's called the Arkansas Partnership for Data, Analytics, and Computing. And the group was announced today as a way to coordinate, I'm sorry, Thursday, which is today, to coordinate training for residents in data science, coding, machine learning, predictive modeling, and computer skills. There was a report that outlined the endeavor saying that the organization's staff and activities will be funded with up to $25.5 million from public and private sector stakeholders that have yet to be named. My expectation is to set a guide for the state to respond to the needs of our business community and in doing so, create career opportunities for our best and brightest young workers to remain in Arkansas and raise our overall state capabilities across industry, higher education, and government to advance advance and apply the tools of data analytics and computing, Hutchinson said in this report. Governor Hutchinson's administration cites predictions from Wikibon research showing that the market for big data analytics and computing applications will grow from $18.3 billion in 2014 to $92.2 billion in 2026 to justify this investment. Another significant driver in the state's unexpected IT job growth. Within the past six years, the governor's report notes that Arkansas added about 12,600 digital jobs. That's 32% growth rate that outpaces the national average of 23%. Despite this, the state has fallen short when it comes to moving college graduates with computing degrees into the IT workforce. Less than 10% do that, according to this report. Along with Hutchinson, Charles Morgan, CEO of First Orion Corporation, um, and Mike Peterson, Executive Director of the Arkansas Economic Development Commission, are leading the initiative as co-chairs of a governor's Blue Ribbon Commission. Preston said in the report, which he and Morgan prepared for the governor, that it is essential for Arkansas businesses and residents not be left behind in the digital jobs market. Once it begins operating, the analytics and computing partnership will dedicate itself to networking and executive education, data analytics, skills training through universities and businesses, workforce retraining and retention activities, and creation of data analytics infrastructure investment fund. The program, which doesn't yet have a launch date, will begin with an initial year focused on executive networking and education activities, followed by a second year focused on services, while three through five will look to expand the reach of those services. So that is one of his initiatives that he's been, I mean, he's been focusing on tech since he was, since he got into office. And if you didn't hear what we were talking about earlier about NAFTA, uh, look up on that because he is saying we should keep NAFTA, Arkansas governor is. He went to D.C. to even get us to hold on to it. I'm not sure if everyone agrees with that in the state, but 
Uh, we're going to talk about everything under the sun when we come back. <laughs> I've got piles and piles of news on my desk here. I'm sorry, on Dave's desk. So we will be right back after this break. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbro Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. And we are back for the last hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm Val Emmons, sitting in for Dave today and tomorrow. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit, and I want to talk about China because Trump said today, uh, according, to, according to Reuters, U.S. President Donald Trump today said he was very disappointed that China is allowing oil to go into North Korea and that such moves would prevent a friendly re- uh, solution to the crisis over Pyongyang's nuclear program. Caught red-handed, very disappointed that China is allowing oil to go into North Korea. There will never be a friendly solution to the North Korean problem if this continues to happen, Trump wrote in a post on Twitter. China earlier today said that there had been no U.N. sanction breaking oil sales by Chinese ships to North Korea after a South Korean newspaper said Chinese and North Korean vessels had been illicitly linking up at sea to get oil to North Korea. The Trump administration has led a drive step, a drive to step up global sanctions on North Korea in response to Pyongyang's efforts to develop nuclear tipped missiles capable of hitting the United States. And Washington says the full cooperation of China, who's North Korea's neighbor and main trading partner, is vital to the excess of this effort. While warning that all options are on the table, including military ones, in dealing with North Korea. The U.N. Security Council last week unanimously imposed new sanctions, as you know, on North Korea for uh, the recent intercontinental ballistic missile test, uh, seeking to further limit its access to refined petroleum products and crude oil. That resolution seeks to ban nearly 90% of refined petroleum exports to North Korea by capping them at 500,000 barrels a year. The U.S. drafted resolution also caps crude oil supplies to North Korea at 4 million barrels a year and commits the council to further reductions if North Korea were to conduct another nuclear test or launch another ICM or ICBM. So documents seen by Reuters this month show Washington called on the Security Council to blacklist 10 ships for circumventing sanctions by conducting ship-to-ship transfers or refined petroleum products to North Korean vessels or transporting North Korean coal. China and Russia subsequently asked for more time to consider the proposal. 
Back in September, the Security Council put a cap of 2 million barrels a year on the refined petroleum products exports to North Korea. And China has repeatedly said that it is fully enforcing all resolutions against North Korea, despite, despite, despite suspicion in Washington. My tongue got tied. Uh, Seoul and Tokyo uh, say that those loopholes still exist. Asked at a regular briefing whether Chinese ships were illegally providing oil to North Korean ships, Chinese defense minister spokesman, I ain't even going to try to pronounce that, Ren, just going to leave it there, reiterated that China, including the military, strictly enforced UN resolutions. The situation you have mentioned absolutely does not exist, he said. South Korea's um, newspaper this week quoted South Korean government sources as saying that U.S. spy satellites had detected Chinese ships transferring oil to North Korea vessels around 30 times since October. 30 times. U.S. officials have not confirmed details of that report, but a U.S. State Department official suggested on Wednesday that such transfers could still be going on. Ship-to-ship transfers remain a concern as part of North Korea's sanctions of I mean, they were trying to evade those sanctions while declining uh, to provide details. The State Department spokesman, Michael Cavey, reiterated on Wednesday that the United States had called on all countries to cut economic ties with North Korea. We urged China to end all economic ties with the DPRK, including tourism and the provision of any oil or petroleum products and expel all DPRK workers. He said, using the acronym for North Korea's official name, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Democratic, my butt. (sighs) That is more communist. It should be communist people's Korea, (laughs) North Korea. Uh, Anyway, the the director of defense studies at the Conservative Center for the National Interest uh, said China would never, ever enforce the sanctions to the satisfaction of President Trump. In spite of the effort, the U.S. president had invested in developing a personal relationship with China's uh, Jinping. With President Trump's latest tweet, it seems the bromance between him and President Xi is finally over. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that it's time that we actually stop thinking it's a conspiracy theory that China is actually using North Korea to its advantage. I've said this a thousand times. It's not going to get any better because where do you think that North Korea gets all of their Mercedes and all their luxurious items for the crazy little fat kid to have? Where do you think those come from? Because he's not supposed to be getting those from anywhere. But China, he gets them from China. Now they're going to get oil from China too. Or they are getting it. And China's trying to deny it. People, China is still a communist country. You do understand that, right? Even though they own half of America. See, that's the problem. They own so much of us that if they were to call their debt, we would fold. And we need to get away from that. We seriously need to get away from that. Uh, And here's another reason. China in the news again with the U.S. China's telling us that we in the U.S. should curb our demand for opiates. And not blame China. So in Beijing, the Associated Press is reporting that the United States should look within to cut 
down demand for opioids, which are fueling its deadly drug crisis, rather than stressing substantial claims that China is the major source of these chemicals, a top Chinese drug enforcement official said today. China and the U.S. have worked to build a close working relationship to fight global flows of illicit synthetic drugs, but their collaboration remains fraught. Oh, come on. China doesn't deny that shipments to the U.S. happen, but there isn't proof to show how much, whether it's 20% or 80%. U.S. authorities have only sent information about six shipments from China in the past year, but in October 2016, the AP identified 12 Chinese companies willing to export carfentanil around the world for a few thousand dollars a kilogram, which is 2.2 pounds, with no question asked. Carfentanil is 100 times more powerful than fentanyl and is legally used as an anesthetic for elephants and other large animals. So now, now the Chinese go on to say, as many states decriminalize marijuana, the public's attitudes and trends of thinking towards drug will also have a bad effect on the fight against hard drugs. No, it's not the same thing. Not even, I mean, even though we have it classified as the same thing, it is not the same thing. The marijuana is definitely not the same thing as opioids. Speaking of marijuana, California's legalization of pot now will collide with U.S. checkpoint and laws. Because, as we know, the federal law is a lot different than state laws. It's categorized. Um, marijuana's classified as a controlled substance like heroin and LSD. So, by the federal government. Because Obama didn't fix that when he had the chance. Thank you, Obama. Slacker. I mean, even our own governor, who was over, Asa Hutchinson, who was over the DEA, sent a letter to Obama saying, when all this stuff, when Colorado and Washington State made it legal... Asking to clarify, are you going to decriminalize it or reschedule the marijuana? You know, and Obama and, and Holder never answered that letter. There was like nine other DE agents involved. And I interviewed Asa and we talked about that while he was actually running for governor back in, uh, I guess it was 2013. But marijuana possession still is prohibited at eight Border Patrol checkpoints in California, which is a reminder that state and federal laws collide when it comes to pot. The U.S. government classifies marijuana again as a controlled substance like heroin and LSD. So even though come January 1st, you'll be able to buy it legally, it's going to be the same after January 1st because nothing has changed on the federal end. Only the state. So Border Patrol is going to be in charge of that because it's a federal law enforcement agency. And they are charged with upholding federal laws, not state laws. So the checkpoints located up to 100 miles from Mexico are considered a final line of defense against immigrants who elude agents at the border. Yeah, that's working out. They also have been a trap for U.S. citizens carrying drugs, even tiny bags of marijuana. About 40% of pot seizures at Border Patrol checkpoints from fiscal years 2013 to 2016 were about an ounce, which is like 28 grams or less from U.S. citizens, according to the Government Accountability Accountability Office report last month. California's new law allows anyone 21 and over to carry up to an ounce, 
which that's the same in Colorado. I don't know about Washington State, but the Border Patrol operates 34 permanent checkpoints along the Mexican border and an additional 103 tactical stops, typically cones and signs that appear for brief periods. Um, the clash between state and federal marijuana laws played out in um, smaller scale near the Canadian border in Washington after the state legalized it in 2014. But California is far busier route for illegal crossings with a lot more agents that seem to can't do their job, I say, on those border crossings anyway. Hence, we have so many illegal immigrants. Why don't we worry about them instead of our citizens crossing the border with a little bit of pot? State and federal marijuana laws have conflicted since California became the first to legalize marijuana for medical use in 1996. Next week, California will be among seven states and Washington, D.C. with legal recreational pot. D.C., all your congressmen should be taking drug tests. (laughs) I'm just saying. Because it's legal and there's going to be pot shops. And, I mean, they're going to, it's legal. When they go to D.C., it's going to be legal. U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions, a staunch opponent of legalization, said last month that he was taking a close look at federal enforcement, suggesting a tougher stance than President Barack Obama's administration, which is one of the reasons I did not support Sessions for our U.S. Attorney General, because I have a very libertarian opinion on marijuana, not necessarily other drugs. But on marijuana because it does help people that need it. And I don't understand why we have to keep allowing criminals to control that and to keep killing people. Because if you look back at the prohibition times, who was it that ran the country? Gangsters. Who was it that controlled alcohol? Gangsters. Why? Because of the money. And to me, that puts people's lives in danger i mean that'd be like having to go buy a beer and get shot because you have to buy from a a beer dealer that puts people's lives in danger because it is such a it's a dangerous world when there's control the pot itself is not as dangerous as the people controlling it that's what can kill you and that's in my opinion um Anyway, that's why I don't support Jeff Sessions in that, but we'll see what comes of it. I mean, all these things, I mean, think about it. If Sessions goes and changes this and makes it tougher, all these people are going to, you could still be thrown in prison, federal pen, for having all that marijuana if they were to come down and bust you for it. So that's something to seriously think about in these states. Whether you support it or you don't, it's going to be a mess. But at highway checkpoints, Border Patrol agents look for signs of nervous drivers like clutching steering wheels and avoiding eye contact and interrupting passengers or asked to state citizenship. Some panic drivers make a U-turn when they spot the checkpoint a dead giveaway. (laughs) One recent morning on westbound Interstate 8, about 40 miles east of San Diego, an agent standing outside a booth under a large white canopy stopped drivers for a few seconds to ask their citizenship or wave them through 
after appearing inside. In about an hour, three raised enough suspicion to be ordered outside for a thorough vehicle search. A dog discovered a marijuana stash about the size of a thumbprint inside the pickup truck of a man with Arizona license plates who was taking his elderly uncle to a hospital appointment. It would have taken up to an hour to process the arrest, so agents released him after seizing the pot and warning him it was illegal. So clearly, it's not that big of a deal, or you wouldn't have let him go with it, or without, you know, make him dump it or whatever. Uh, The animal sniffed something in another car but found nothing in the seats or the trunk. The uh, apologetic driver said she smoked marijuana a week earlier implying the odor lingered. Now, I know um, if it's in your car and you're smoking it, you're not supposed to do that in Colorado. I don't know what the laws are going to be like in California, but uh, you can get your driver's license pulled, and also you can lose your ability to purchase marijuana in Colorado if you're caught driving under the influence of it. But um, we're going to take a break. We'll come back. Uh, so stay with us. And we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. Got a couple of minutes before we go to another break. Uh, as, as you heard in the Fox News earlier, Jones was certified in the U.S. Senate the winner, despite uh, Roy Moore's challenge to that race. Uh, Reuters is reporting that Alabama officials on Thursday certified Democrat Doug Jones the winner of the state's U.N. Senate race after a judge denied a challenge by Republican Roy Moore, whose campaign was derailed by accusations of sexual misconduct with teenage girls about what, 40 years ago. Jones won that vacant seat by about 22,000 votes, which is like 1.6 percentage points, uh, election officials said. This makes him the first Democrat in a quarter of a century to win a Senate seat in Alabama. Quarter of a century. That seat was previously held by Republican Jeff Sessions, as you know. He was tapped by President Trump to be the attorney general against my wishes. If you just listen to me, Trump, we wouldn't have this problem because Sessions would still be in Alabama. Instead, we have a Democrat now. Anyway, the state canvassing board composed of Alabama Secretary of State John Merrill, Governor Kay Ivey, and Attorney General Steve Marshall certified the election results. And uh, that will narrow the Republican majority in the Senate to 51 of 100 seats. But Moore declined to concede defeat, even after Trump urged him to do so. He stood by claims of fraudulent election and a statement released after the certification said he had no regrets. All media outlets have reported. So there's that. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll finish up the show. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) I have 15 seconds to run my mouth. He rushes me. He rushes me. And then... And then he's like, oh, wait, 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 you have more time. Like, you're kidding me. I get all flustered because I think I'm rushed. <laughs> and we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. And just a quick clarification from the interview earlier with Jan Morgan on the governor's stance on NAFTA. J.R. Davis has sent me a text just to clarify because there was a bare bones that we had anyway. And he usually is on here Thursday, so I was going to ask him about this next week anyway. But um, he said what I was saying is not true on the governor's stance on NAFTA. He is for renegotiating NAFTA and modernizing the trade agreement. That's what the president has stated as well. Arkansas's number one customers 
exports are number one, Canada, and number two, Mexico. Very important for our agriculture, Arkansas's number one industry. So just want to clarify that. And uh, well, I will, I will, next Thursday when we have JR on, I want to talk with him more about that. So there's that. Um, I always own up to when I say something wrong, and I think everyone else should too. I appreciate JR for calling me out on that because that's what we're supposed to do. You're supposed to call people out when they make errors. Otherwise, how would you know the truth? Um, the problem is, is I couldn't find anything but a bare bones article on that, and I just wanted to ask Jan about that. I should have waited. That's my fault. Um, so I wanted to give you a sign of the times. I don't know if y'all heard about this or not, but Tehran police, no more arrests for flouting dress code. Police in Iran's capital said Thursday that they will no longer arrest women for failing to observe the Islamic dress code in place since 1979. Since the 1979 revolution. That's crazy that they get arrested for not adhering to the dress code. (laughs) Could you imagine what kind of dress fashion police, not even fashion, but Dress police we would have over here. We'd have, we had jail full of people. Maybe that's their problem. Maybe they're overcrowding. <laughs> so now they're not going to arrest anyone. The announcement signaled an easing of punishment for violating the country's conservative dress code as called for by the young and reform-minded Iranians who helped reelect President Hassan Rouhani, a relative moderate, earlier this year. But hardliners opposing to easing such rules still dominate Iran's security forces and judiciary, so it was Unclear whether the change would be fully implemented. Those who do not observe the Islamic dress code will no longer be taken to detention centers, nor will judicial cases be filed against them. Tehran Police Chief General Hossan Rahimi was quoted as saying by the reformist uh, Daily Shark, the semi-official news agency said violators will instead be made to attend classes given by the police. said repeat offenders could still be subject to legal action and the dress code remains in place outside the capital what kind of class would that be learn how to put on your burqa i mean i mean what kind of cl- what kind of class first of all that's not even in the quran to, that you have to dress like that that's something that's man-made apparently that it's for insecure men Muslim men that don't want anyone seeing their woman. For for 40 years, women in Iran have been forced to cover their hair and wear long, loose garments. Younger and more liberal-minded women have long pushed the boundaries of the official dress code, wearing loose headscarves that don't fully cover their hair and painting their nails, drawing the ear of conservatives. Iran's morality police, similar to Saudi Arabia's religious police, typically detain violators and escort them to a police van. Their families are then called to bring the detainee a change of clothes. The violator is then required to sign a form that they will not commit the offense again. Men can also be stopped by the police if they're seen wearing shorts or going shirtless. Yeah. Last year, police in Tehran announced plans to deploy 7,000 male and female officers for a new plainclothes division, the largest such undercover assignment in memory, 
to monitor public morality. <laughs> Could you imagine if we had to deal with that here in the United States? To monitor public morality. That's just crazy. And enforce the dress code. Cover yourself. Speaking of Saudi Arabia, some other stuff going on there, which is also a sign of the times. Tax-free no more. Saudi Arabia, uh, the United Arab Emirates to roll out a VAT tax in 2018. So the AP is reporting out of Dubai that Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, which have long lured foreign workers with the promise of a tax-free lifestyle, plan to impose a 5% tax next year on the most goods and services to boost revenue after oil prices collapsed three years ago. The value-added tax, or VAT, will apply to a range of items like food, clothes, electronics, and gasoline, as well as phone, water, and electricity bills, and hotel reservations. Uh, you know, this is obviously a sign of the tax because they're losing they're losing tax revenue from the oil. And other Gulf countries are expected to implement their own VAT tax scheme in the coming years. But even with the five percent jump in prices, the tax rate is still significantly less than the average VAT tax rate of twenty percent in some European countries. If you compare with Europe, I don't think it's expensive, only in rent and food, but they're going to be more careful, obviously, when they go and buy stuff. The national newspaper based in uh, Dubai says the cost of living in the uh, United Arab Emirates is expected to rise about 2.5% next year because of the VAT. Salaries, meanwhile, remain the same. As the government adjusts to lower oil prices, the UAE is expected to raise around $12 billion Durham's, which is equivalent to $3.3 billion from that tax. Meanwhile, Saudi Arabia re- uh, re- revealed that the biggest budget in its history was unveiled with plans to spend $978 billion riles, which is $261 billion this coming fiscal year as the government forecasts a boost in revenue from the introduction of that and plans to reduce subsidies. Still, Saudi Arabia is facing a budget deficit until at least 2023. Now, how do they have a deficit with all that dang oil money? How? I don't understand it. I don't understand that. The The Gulf has been associated with being tax-free, you know, for foreign companies, except Bahrain. But they pay corporate income taxes. Uh, and Imam, locally owned companies also pay taxes. Custom duties are in place through medical, food, and raw material for industries where, uh, which were exempt in the past. While not labeled a tax, but we all know what a VAT is, there have also been extra fees associated with government services, including electricity bills for foreigners in the UAE, for example. Why don't we do that? Why do we not have an extra VAT tax for foreigners? If you don't want to be here, Permanently, maybe you should pay an extra tax on your utility bill. But that wouldn't be equal. But you're not a citizen. So, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing or or not. Foreigners make up about a third of the Saudi population and far outnumber locals in the UAE. 
For now, anxious residents have been reassured that there are no immediate plans to impose a payroll tax, which could prompt an exodus of highly skilled uh, workers there. Well, we'll see. We will see how that plays out. Now, I don't know, speaking of money, I don't know if y'all know about it, but the Powerball, the plus Mega Millions is up to $690 million. The odds of winning, obviously, aren't as good as they used to be with all those people playing, but $306 million when no one won the top prize in Tuesday's drawing, so the next drawing is tomorrow night. Run out and get your lottery tickets now. You could be a millionaire. Or a $690 millionaire. <laughs> is that a quarter of a billion? That's half a billion. That's three, four, two-thirds of a billion air. But, of course, we know, would you take it all at once, or would you... If you won the lottery, would you take it all at once? Mm. I don't know. I know because it's like it's like saying, "Well, you know what's going on in Illinois? Like they don't have any. They have are still doing their uh, lottery, but they're not paying out." Yeah, that's crazy. So that's what I I, I don't know. I was thinking about it. I would think I would take all of it. I'm not promoting the lottery because I am not a supporter of the lottery. I just think it's interesting that it's up to $690 million. Hmm. Wouldn't know what to do with all that money. I know, right? Well, I do know what I would do with it. I would buy shoes, first of all, (laughs) for poor people and myself. I would have to buy myself a pair while shopping for everyone else. But, no, I would would buy an apartment complex for all of the people that I love, and we would all go live on an island in my apartment complex. (laughs) 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 Away from stupid drivers. Away from stupid people. Speaking of money, did you know that the world's wealthiest became $1 trillion richer in 2017? $1 trillion. The richest people on earth became $1 trillion richer in 2017, more than four times last year's gain, as stock markets shrugged off economic, social, and political divisions to reach record highs. The 23% increase on Bloomberg's million, uh, Billionaires Index, a daily ranking of the world's 500 richest people, compares with an almost 20% increase for both the MSCI World Index and the Standard & Poor's 500 Index. Amazon.com founder Jeff Bezos added the most in 2017, a whopping $34.2 billion gain that knocked Microsoft Corp co-founder Bill Gates out of his spot as the world's richest person in October. Gates, who's 62, had held the spot since May 2013 and has been donating much of his time, uh, much of his fortune to charity, including a $4.6 billion pledge he made to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in August. Bezos, whose net worth topped $100 billion at the end of November, currently has a net worth of $99.6 billion, compared with $91.3 billion for Gates. I didn't think I'd ever see a day when Bill Gates was toppled. But Amazon's got it going on. I mean, everyone everyone knows what Amazon is. Across the world. Not just here in the country. Across the world. By the, uh, let's see, George Soros also gave away a substantial part of his fortune. We know where that went. To the left. (laughs) Call it charity if you want to, but we know it went to the left. 
revealing in October that his family office had given $18 billion to his Open Society Foundations. See, that's what I'm talking about. Over the past several years, dropping the billionaire investor to number 195 on the Bloomberg ranking with a net worth of only $8 billion. Only $8 billion. Wow, Soros, you're falling behind. By the end of trading Tuesday, December 26th, the 500 billionaires controlled 5.3 trillion, up from 4.4 trillion on December 27th, 2016. It's part of the second most robust and second longest bull market in the history. Uh, I think that it's going to keep going too. The stock market's just uh, up, 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 and up. There were 38 Chinese billionaires on the Bluebird Index, adding. $177 billion in 2017, a 65% gain that was the biggest of the 49 countries represented. Chinese. No kidding. Like we didn't know that. The number of Asian billionaires surpassed the U.S. for the first time, according to a, US, a UBS Group AG in the Price Waterhouse Coopers report. So the Asian billionaires have surpassed the U.S. Of course, we have the largest presidents on the index with 159 billionaires who added 315 billion, which is an 18% gain that gives them a collective net worth of $2 trillion. Russia's 27 richest people put behind them the economic pain that followed President Vladimir Putin's 2014 annexation of Crimea, adding 29 billion to 275 billion, surpassing the collective net worth they had before Western economic sanctions began. It was also a banner year for tech moguls with the 57 technology billionaires on the index adding $262 billion, which is a 35% increase that was the most of any sector on that ranking. Facebook co-founder Mark Zuckerberg had the fourth largest U.S. dollar increase on the index, adding $22.6 billion, or 45%. And filed plans to sell 18% of his stake in the social media giant as part of his plan to give away the majority of his $72.6 billion fortune. Give it away? Give me some. And all the 440 billionaires on the index who added to their fortunes in 2017 gained a combined of $1.05 trillion. Losers? The fortune of French telecommunication, uh, telecommunications billionaire Patrick uh, Dry fell $4.1 billion to $6.3 billion, a 39% drop. I think they had that backwards. Uh, the richest person in Saudi Arabia, Prince Awalid bin Talal, <laughs> I can't believe I got that even remotely close, uh, dropped $1.9 billion to $17.8 billion after he was detained in a crackdown against corruption led by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and targeted royals, government officials, and business leaders. Saudi Arabia, while well, they're having a rough time. There were 60 billionaires who fell from the ranking, including South African retailer Christo Weiss, whose fortune dropped about $1.8 billion from a peak of $7.7 billion in August 2016 after news of an accounting scandal at his Steinhoff International Holdings uh, broke on December 5th. Summer Redstone, who is 94 years old, also fell off the list as CBS owner Viacom Inc. continued to grapple with the bitter battle for control between his daughter and other execs. While Rupert Murdoch, 86, sidestepped secessions, 
concerned with the December deal to sell much of 21st Century Fox Inc. Entertainment asset to Walt Disney uh, Company. Redstone shed $90 million and Murdoch added $2.7 billion. So we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll finish up the show. And we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show as the last trek. And we were talking about how the world's top uh, top billionaires became a trillion dollar richer. The world's wealthiest became a trillion dollar richer in 2017. And that leads me to Apple CEO Tim Cook's 2017 pay jumping from 47% to $12.8 million. Tim Cook took home a much sweeter paycheck this year. <laughs> Thanks to Apple exceeding its financial targets for 2017, the tech giant CEO had a compensation package totaling $12.8 million for 2017, an increase of 47% over the last year, according to Apple's annual proxy filing Wednesday with the SEC. The biggest component was a cash bonus of, get this, $9.3 million. That's a nice bonus. Can you imagine the Christmas presents you could buy with that? Anyway, under Apple's incentive plan tied to revenue and profit performance. Um, In 2017, Apple was above its target performance goals for both net sales and operating income, resulting in a payout of each named executive officer's annual cash incentive at 155.5% of target. Anyway, Apple reported sales of $229 billion and net income of $48.4 billion for 2017. Think about that when you buy that phone or when you're picking it up and when you're using it and when you're getting on Facebook with it. Think about that, your iPhones. How much money are you making those folks? But it's still fun. <laughs> it's something we can't do without. I mean, we can, but we choose not to. Well, I want to thank everyone for sticking around with me today and listening and tuning in. And also want to apologize <laughs> for, for anybody that I've offended in any way, shape, or form. I'll be back tomorrow sitting in for Dave, and um, we will talk to you then. Have a great night. The Dave Ellswick Show podcast is sponsored by the Juris Law Group. We provide estate planning for all ages, and we specialize in helping seniors get VA and Medicaid benefits for in-home, assisted living, and nursing home care. For a no-risk consultation, call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com. That's J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 